1: To the spoken, the Spoken. ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell.
2: Lance Twidwell here inside the spoken studios. My guys, Trevor Twidwell, was well, good, and Eddie Ortiz. Good, good, good. Episode 169 good, good, good. in full swing, full motion. I forgot the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> Run it back, we'll do it live. Now nah, we uh, we're so happy for you guys to be here with us, and for us to be here with you guys This is what we do each and every week. 169 episodes, nice. Uh, we are so happy to uh, get this thing going. We got a lot to discuss, a lot to take, a lot to talk about in the world of sports. We have the chief editor, or rather, the editor, the managing editor of Chiefs Wire will be joining us. Charles Goldman will be with us momentarily. We are so excited and so happy to have him on the show today. This is the first time he's actually been on the show. Uh, Chiefs Wire is a place that I go to uh, for a lot of my, my source material, man, to, to kind of b- better understand what's going on with the Chiefs all across the landscape all year long. Whether it's OTAs, training camp, regular season, playoffs, uh, any type of analytical work, those are guys that I definitely go to. And Charles is credit for a lot of that. And I really we've been working hard to get him on the show. Uh, he's a busy guy, but we finally got an opportunity to get him on the show today, and we're really excited to do that. I don't know if you guys saw the picture we posted of him yesterday on our social media. But uh, it was actually with his uh, little puppy. And I'm hoping, I'm just hoping here that, uh, because, you know, I'm a puppy lover myself. I'm hoping that he has the dog with him today on the show. If not, we'll have to uh, see if maybe he wants to, you know, pause the, the 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 stream and maybe if he wants to go and find where his dog's at because he's walking with him right now, according to what Charles told me this morning. He's having a walk with him today, so maybe he'll uh, he'll chime in or two, have a couple Chiefs takes himself. Maybe he's the mastermind behind all of Charles's work. That might be a, that'd be an interesting little take. But before we get into anything else today. In all seriousness, uh, we do want to extend our uh, condolences, sincere condolences to the Uvalde community in Uvalde, Texas. Um, if you uh, are not aware by some strange coincidence or chance, uh, there, there's a, a middle school, an elementary school rather, in Uvalde, Texas that suffered the loss of over 20 human beings in particular, I believe 18 children. Uh, ha- have been confirmed to have died in the tragedies that took place there this this last week. Um, there's not a lot of words that I could say that makes this any any better, or make it and make it make any more sense because it doesn't make any sense at all. But here at the Spoken Podcast, we were we were shaken to our core, man. We have you know Eddie, Trevor, and myself. We all have uh, young children in our lives that ma- that mean the world to us, and the thought of children at that age or at any age losing their lives is just it's 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 um baffling to say the least and we wanted to extend that to the families out there uh even to the survivors the the trauma and the 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 ptsd ptsd they must be going through uh from suffering uh losses to their friends and family um it's it's just it's it's unacceptable it's ridiculous that we are going through this and um I just all I can say is that I hope that there will be changes that help us avoid situations like this. We know that there's always going to be unfortunate events and unfortunate and unexpected tragedies that do occur. We we know that's the reality of life. But we we here hope that there can be some changes and some uh, maneuvering and laws and restrictions that can potentially get it to where it, it, it's a lot tougher for these types of lunatics uh, to have that type of power and and over other human life and. Um, yeah, That's all I really wanted to say. I don't know if Trevor Eddie had anything to extend, but that's just kind of where I wanted to put it, and I wanted to put that in the air before anything else because we know that sports is what we're here to talk about, and that that's why we do this. That's why we, we created this platform is to give you and us included an escape from the, the stresses of life. We love coming here and chiming in and talking about the, the sports and the teams and the athletes that we love the most. But we also, we all live in reality. We all, we all go out into the real world and, and do what we need to do. And uh, I felt that that was necessary to uh, put on the airwaves today. But I wanted to move forward because there was um, actually a lot of News that came out for the Chiefs, and it's so funny. Like this is supposed to be the downtime of the year where I'm sitting here stressing out about what's gonna what's gonna be the the talking points this week. But for some damn reason, I mean, I feel like there's just been so much been given to us over the last couple of weeks, even though this is the time where you know OTAs have started up, so you can talk about those things. But what's funny is the OTAs isn't the part that I'm even interested in right now because you know we could talk about Justin Ross making a big impression already. We know that the Chiefs are obviously buying into what Justin Ross has shown them, not just the one handed catch which we'll talk to Charles uh, Goldman about in a minute because that was impressive to see and it's impressive to look at but I think there's a lot more to that story than just the one-handed catch along with other guys that you've seen throughout history that make one-handed catches like Odell Beckham Jr. People think that was the the greatest play they had seen but Odell Beckham has also put together a catalog of great play great games great plays and a really good career so there's more to it and I think Justin Ross has a real opportunity to shine here in Kansas City but I actually want to start with a a living legend in Kansas City a couple living legends obviously in Kansas City when it comes to the Chiefs. Uh, so this week we heard that George Kittle had made some comments about Travis Kelsey and how underpaid uh, Travis Kelsey is, yep. and he believes that Kelsey should be paid better. Quote, I mean, Travis Kelsey, six seasons in a row, thousand yards, Kittle said via Pro Football Talk. I'm pretty sure he has the most receiving yards over any wide wide receiver skill position in the last six years. He gets paid half of what a wide receiver makes, which just boggles my mind. I mean, to me, Travis Kelsey, he's been doing it for so long and at such a high level, and he doesn't have an off game. I think he has one bad game a year, and it's just because he's getting triple teamed, end quote. Um. Now you can look at these quote. You, these quotes, which I I actually do appreciate. I know that I know that Kittle and Kelsey are actually very good friends. They do that tight end uh, university thing with Greg Olson and a couple other That's former uh, tight ends. It's really cool to see. Yeah. Um. I think there's some self-serving to this with with Kittle because he knows that Kelsey is the class of the NFL when it comes to that position and Kittle obviously is a tight end himself and I think that if if you were to see Travis Kelsey benefit off getting paid better, getting paid more like a wide receiver that would benefit guys like George Kittle so I'm sure sure there's some self-serving to this whole aspect of this as well but there's a lot of truth to what Kittle is saying about the fact that the tight end position as a whole and in particular the top tier tight ends aren't being valued market wise like a wide receiver which we all know the tight end position has quickly become more of a wide receiver or receiver position yeah. than what it once was. I was talking to guy, our guy our guy Jason Dunn this week and obviously Jason played a much different type of tight end, but it was equally as effective in a lot of ways because it opened up in the run game. It helped Tony Gonzalez a lot. There was a lot of benefits to having a tight end like Jason Dunn, so I don't want to downplay that style or that era, rather, of tight ends. Those guys still play a part. We have Blake Bell here in Kansas City that plays a very similar role. He helps in the run game, helps in pass pro, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But Travis Kelsey sets himself apart because of his consistency and production when it comes to getting the ball and making plays and doing historic things the way he's done it. And I don't know if you guys saw the what that, that that stat i put out there this week that went viral on twitter um travis kelsey if in fact he does get a thousand yards this season that'd be seven consecutive seasons that would be as many one thousand yard seasons as calvin johnson julio jones michael irvin and antonio brown and anquan bolden had in their entire careers so what, Pat, what Travis Kelsey's doing is historic in itself, and I appreciate the fact that guys like George Kittle are out here speaking out and saying guys like Travis Kelsey deserve to make more money. Is, is Travis making good money? Yes. He, he just had a $60 million contract extension, so he's got money. He's doing what he's doing. But I think it, it, there is truth to it that when you see the fact that it's, since 2016, no one has had more receiving yards than Travis Kelsey, I think it is time that they start to renegotiate the way that this position is being valued in the market because we've seen this with other positions as well, including the the quarterback position. The fact that before, 20 years ago, quarterbacks were making, if they had a $10 million a year contract, you're thinking, oh my god, this guy's breaking the bank. Now you're getting $10 million as a backup in this league at times. We saw Mark Sanchez get $8 million as a backup quarterback just a few years ago, and he didn't see the field with the Chicago Bears. It's all about the knowledge and the experience that you bring to your club, and, and not knowing, not knowing when you're going to play, if you ever do play, but the fact is, you have value. Well, imagine that now with a guy like Travis Kelsey, who again is putting up historic numbers, the level he is, and did it with multiple quarterbacks. He did, this didn't start with Patrick Mahomes. He's put up a thousand yards with Alex Smith. Mm. So this guy, this guy is doing things with multiple quarterbacks that we've never seen in the history of football. Almost outside of any position, not even just tight ends. We're talking wide receivers. Outside of Jerry Rice and Brandon Marshall, and a couple other guys, no one's had seven plus thousand receiving yards. Seven, you know what I mean? We're talking about eight plus, and but Travis Kelsey has the opportunity to do that. And Kelsey hadn't uh, had a had a response to what Kelsey or what uh, George Kittle had said mm-hmm. about his contract. He said, "Quote: I appreciate George Kittle saying that. Uh, that's my guy, and he always wants to see every tight end get paid as much as their production is. But at the same time, I signed my contract understanding what I had. I put a lot into this man. Money is my mind. Money, money in my mind is almost secondary at this point in my career." I'm here for the legacy, and I'm here to try and make the Kansas City Chiefs the best team possible. That's my main focus, and that's where I am. I I absolutely love this about Travis Kelsey, and I, there's 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 two points I want to bring up in, in bringing this up. I want to praise him and acknowledge him for saying this because I think fans love hearing these things. I don't think there's any question about that. Fans still to this day want a guy that is loyal just like they are to their team. They want athletes to be just as loyal to their team as they are in their minds, where it's all about the team. And there are players out there that say those things to just keep the fans on their side and to control the narrative. I don't believe that's the kind of thing that Travis Kelsey's doing here, and I don't believe that's the kind of person Travis Kelsey is. I believe he's sincere about these things and these statements because yeah. he is the longest-tenured player on the Chiefs. He's been here as long as, Tra- as, long as Andy Reid's been here. Mm-hmm. In fact, he was the third pick of Andy yeah, Reid's tenure in yeah. Kansas City. So, outside of Eric Fisher, there was no one that was going to be able to predate Travis Kelsey, even if they were still on the team. So, Travis Kelsey is, I believe, the antithesis of what the Chiefs are and what they want to continue to be. An all-class player that goes out there and is all about football. I mean, the dude is 32, going to be 33 in October, and is out there in OTAs training with the guys. That's not something you see very often. You hear about Aaron Rodgers. You hear about Lamar Jackson, the leaders of their franchises. Not at OTAs. And honestly, it's not even a big deal. No one looks at that as some horrible thing or you're not a true leader. OTAs is optional, and it's usually for the younger guys still trying to learn and develop their games and to be, you know, get more integrated with the team. But I think there's something to Travis Kelsey putting himself out there and showing these young guys that he's serious about this because it's only a positive when you have a guy like Travis Kelsey out there doing that because the young dudes that are trying to make this team or trying to make an impression like Justin Ross are going to see him out there doing that thinking – well, if he's, he's not too good to do this, why the hell would I ever think that? Even if I come on and I, I blow up on the scene and I put myself into a position where I'm a starting player day one in year two, year three, I need to model myself after that. And I, and I think that Travis deserves a lot of credit for putting himself in that position. Also, uh, addressing these comments because if he was to, you know, play it, uh, oh, you know, I, I don't really have anything to add to what Kittle said, it leaves speculation. Mm-hmm. it leaves an opportunity for the media to try to twist things where it's well maybe you know kels might not be happy maybe he had george do it himself you know mm-hmm. for him so he didn't have to say it for himself and then there's this ridiculous narrative that comes out of all this and i think that travis once again understands how to control the narrative and he's telling basically the media like don't look into this too far because i truly am happy in kansas city could he be making better money elsewhere yes I do believe there's franchises out there with a pay Travis Kelsey exponentially better than what the Chiefs have. But does he have the situation that he has? And this is, I think, honestly the difference between the two mindsets of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. This is the second point I wanted to drive home. Because it's not a diss on Tyreek Hill. We're all happy for him. I would be happy for Travis Kelsey if at the end of that first, before he got this extension, if he said, oh, this team's offered me more money, I'm going to go there. Because that's what I want. Like, it, it sucks. We were all depressed as hell when Tyreek decided to, you know, hey, I want to get traded. And, and the Chiefs obviously gave him what he wanted. We It sucks because you're losing an all-time great at that position in the prime of their career. It's never an easy thing to digest. digest, digest. Mm-hmm. But it's what they want, and at the end of the day, that is what this is about. It is their careers. I'm sure that there are people that watch our show that enjoy this. But if we decided to change things up or do something completely different, they may not like that. But, but no disrespect to anybody that views and, and supports the show. And we, again, appreciate all of you. This is what we want to do. This is how we think it's, it fits better in our careers, in our lives, whatever it might be. It's no different for these guys. We have to constantly put ourselves in these guys' shoes. And I think that Tyreek Hill saw it as, this is my golden opportunity. I got my ring. I've put up historic numbers. I'm, I'm a borderline Hall of Fame player. Probably going to make the Hall of Fame. I have an opportunity to go out there and make record-breaking money. I'm going to do that. Travis Kelsey on the other hand, sees it differently. And I think that both guys should be respected equally for making those decisions that the, the way they did and how they did and why they did. Because every man has their own decision to make. Every man has their own goals in mind. Travis and Tyreek have two different goals. I'm sure Tyreek still wants to win. But the realities of him winning at the clip that he was in Kansas City and, and now in Miami, it's not realistic. Mm. But I think that we we are now seeing what Travis Kelsey how he wants to end his career because I think he also has a great career in in broadcasting after after his NFL career. I think you've already seen him Fox and these other these other networks have been trying him out, having him on the platforms, giving him an opportunity to shine with his personality.
0: Yeah, I I, I think
2: those guys are both going to be leading the way. We've seen tight ends. Greg Olson has got a full-time job with Fox. He's on Colin Coward shows like once a month. Tony Gonzalez has been on multiple platforms. It ain't just the quarterbacks. You know, Trey Aikman, Tom Brady, Tony Romo, those guys are getting all the big-time dollars. But Shannon Sharp and Greg Olson, uh, these guys have gotten jobs. Mm -hmm. And Travis Kelsey, to me, has the better personality of all of them. And that's what it's all about is having that personality. We talk about the NFL on Fox team with Terry Bradshaw, Jimmy Johnson, Howie Long, and Michael Strahan. Well, those guys are getting older. And eventually one of them or two of them, a couple of them, won't be there. Mm. they got to fill those roles. And I think that Travis Kelsey might be one of those guys one day. I think that Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson, Terry Bradshaw, they might have a couple more years. And I think that Travis Kelsey's got a couple more years in the league. I think that we could see something like that present itself. And I think that winning helps that second career. getting record money is going to help you no matter what you want to do and I don't think Tyreek's going to pursue a a, a career in broadcasting after his NFL career that's just my hunch but I am almost 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 certain Travis Kelsey's going to and winning and staying in Kansas City while still making really good money is going to benefit him for that next act and that's why I think is happening here and I really appreciate again what George Kittle said about Travis but I appreciate even more so what Travis Kelsey said in regards to what he's doing here in Kansas City why he's here in Kansas City and I think this is going to be a a significant ripple of effect on this team this season because there's so many unknowns. This team is basing themselves off a lot of unknowns, but there needs to be those veteran presences in that locker room to steer these guys into success, and I don't think there's a better person out there for the job than Travis Kelsey himself.
0: Yeah, I mean, and too, he knows that this is a winning culture right here, you know, and um, going to another team, a new environment, new players, new quarterback, you know, who knows if the chemistry will be there, who knows how long it'll be to how long it'll take to build chemistry, you know, what I mean, so I don't think it was ever in Travis Kelsey's thoughts to ever leave here anyways, I think the what he the relationship he's built with coach Reed is a unique situation. Um, the patience that coach Reed had with him, you know, becoming a development type of player. Um, and then arguably becoming the greatest tight end to ever touch the gridiron, um, it's been a special thing for him. And I don't think I think he wants to ride it out into the sunset. I, I never envisioned him going anywhere else. Um, he's just one of those lifer kind of guys. He always had that vibe to him. So I know he wants to win more here. I know he wants to bring some more jewelry here. And I think that they, he has a good chance to do that here with Patrick Mahomes. Um, and he, you know, who knows? He might see something special in this next group, this next wave, this next chapter of uh, you know the Chiefs kingdom. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I expected nothing less from Travis Kelsey. The quote definitely, uh, like I was telling you the other night, it was it was swooning, uh, uh, cheese fans. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely nice to hear that from your star tight end, um, that he, uh, you know, the love he has for, and, and you know, the, and the love he's getting outside from other sources, from other tight ends, other other you know, other players in this league, you know, think that he thinking that he deserves even more than he's getting, which is true, um, but. You know, the fans, I can speak for most Chiefs fans, if not all. You know, we are forever grateful for the the impact and the the play that he's produced, um, you know, in a Chiefs uniform. Um, he's been a special player, and I, I, I still think he's got a good few more seasons left at dominant performances and dominant seasons statistically and just overall just play and success here in Kansas City. So, I mean, what much more can you say? I mean, the guy is a class act. And it's crazy, too, from where he came from, being that fiery, hot-headed guy. That's my, that's my favorite thing about Kelsey is the evolution of him over the years, getting the penalties over and over and taunting, getting in rest faces and, and getting into scuffles and all these things, he, and then getting into scuffles with his own coaches in the sidelines here and there. I mean, he still has that same fire. He's just kind of re, you know aimed it in a different direction. You now he's become that veteran. Now he's become that voice of his locker room. Uh, being the longest tenured player in this team, he's almost become one of those player coaches now. And it's just cool to see that that gradual maturity uh, and uh, maturing process of of Travis Kelsey. Not only be you know, it's not like he's some just random player that's just like a solid player, but it's like a really good guy for the locker room. He's a, an incredible guy for the locker room, maybe the best guy for the locker room at this point, and he's arguably the best weapon on the offense. Yeah. you know what I mean. So like, it's cool to have that. That that duo, that dynamic within one player, that's that's rare to find. A lot of times, star players tend not to be, uh, uh, you know, that voice. A lot of times, it has to come from one of those gritty kind of glue guys. Yeah. But it's not. He's not a Jared Dudley on this team. You know, he's he's Travis Kelsey. He's arguably the goat at that position, and he and he's that much of an impact in the locker room. So I'm forever grateful. I'm just trying to enjoy all the years he has left here. Um, that's my guy. So I'm. I, yeah, the quote was great. George Kill's love was great. Um, looking forward to the season. How much to add to you
3: guys. I mean, what else can be said about Travis Kelsey? We all knew who he was and what kind of player he was and what what kind of player he wants to be. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh he's getting older in age, so obviously we as the fan base and obviously him see the the end, you know, of his career coming coming close. It's getting it's getting closer. Uh so at this point I think it's more important to him to, to to, be with the team that gave him everything, you know, that they, they, they supported him throughout his entire career. He's dedicated his entire NFL career to one team. So him him being loyal to that team, you know, uh, it's very, very uh, telling of what kind of person he really is uh, as a human being. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he's such a great person. Uh and I'm with you. If you if there was another team that that would offer him more money, and he wanted to leave and you know get get his payday, you know, good for him. You yeah. know, that's what you play in this league for, man. You, you play in this league to, to to play the game that you love, but at the same time to to uh, have your family set for years to come. So um, yeah, so. So yeah, I
2: mean, that's I, you yeah, can say that, that's I love I love how you said that. You you play this game, you join this league, you 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 do what you do in this league to achieve whatever goal it is that you have in mind. Some guys, it really is about winning. They want to win as many games as possible, build a legacy, be able to be in the history books, all those things. And there's some guys, it's more on the hey man, look, my family did not have money, and I want to be the one that changes the tra- the trajectory of my family for generations to come both are admirable man and i love the fact that like this off season we've gotten to see the extremes of both that the chiefs had two guys that won together, that achieved great things together, but had two different mindsets, and they're both greats. They're both admirable men to do what they did for both themselves and for their families. Because at the end of the day, they're the ones busting their ass. So if it's about themselves, that they have just a goal in mind to take care of themselves, that's freaking awesome. But Tyreek's a man that has a family, he's got a, got a, a fiance, he's got a son, he's got a couple children, I believe. He wants to go out there and make as much money for them. I love that. I think that's great, man. So mm. I just wanted to throw that out there because I thought it was a great, uh, uh, awesome story that that we've heard from both veteran players this offseason, and I respect both. I'd still love to have Tyreek on this team, but I'll gladly keep Travis Kelsey in the, as an alternative. But there's also something else I wanted to bring up when it comes to another legend here in Kansas City, if you haven't heard from uh, the Chiefs quarterback's name Patrick Mahomes. Mm. And uh, I was listening to uh, – we just had our guy Marco Marquez, the producer of the Border Patrol, on last. Last week uh, giving us some, his thoughts he did an incredible job and we're definitely gonna have him back uh, because of that but I was listening to uh, Stephen st. John uh, the, the host of the Border Patrol that Marco uh, produces and they were having this discussion I, I believe it was a co-host for for Stephen st. John and uh, I don't want to mis- uh, misrepresent them at all but I did listen to what they were saying and yesterday morning what they were saying was they were basically discussing how Patrick Mahomes needs to improve his pocket presence and playing within the pocket because of what happened in the AFC Championship this this last season against the Bengals in that second half. So what I did, because I'm somebody who's naturally motivated by by takes. I love listening to other people talk, and then I'll see if I agree with them or if I disagree with them, whichever the outcome is, I'm going to express my opinion. So what I did on Twitter yesterday is I went out there and I, I started doing some research, and I went and looked at, like, uh, PFF grades. I went and looked at, even though I don't even follow PFF stuff, I wanted to see what they had been saying over the last few years. I wanted to check out uh, just statistics. All the, all the things I, I jumbled together yesterday, and it took about two hours. And what I found from Patrick Mahomes' quarterback rating with a clean pocket by year as a starter. Um, These numbers are going to blow your mind. So in 2018, Patrick Mahomes had a record-setting quarterback rating with a 134.2 quarterback rating. And in 2019, the year the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, hit a 112.4 quarterback rating. Trash. Yeah. Throw throw him, yeah, trade his ass, cut him. Uh, 2020. He had a 121 quarterback rating. And then in 2021 last season, with all the struggles, the way that they started the season out, he still had a quarterback rating right under 111 in clean pocket. That's an average quarterback rating of 119.5. And just to make a comparison, that's 14 points higher than the highest quarterback rating of all time that is also owned by Patrick Mahomes with a 105.8. I'm not here to, to dismantle or disrespect anybody's opinion. It is yours, and you're, you have the right to have it. But I also have the right to challenge it. Because I think what's happening here in Kansas City in particular, the national guys are always going to say what they say. And I, and I love and I enjoy dismantling those opinions as well. But it's almost disappointing to have people that are on the ground level here that have watched the, the, the spectacle and the magnitude of what Patrick Mahomes has been for four-plus years now. And nitpick his game to that degree. I just I find it magnificent almost because you're, you're you're sitting here saying that those numbers aren't good enough. Essentially, did he struggle in that second half against against the Eagles? Yes, he was horrible. He was terrible in that second half. He, do- he overthought everything. He was inaccurate. He made mistake after mistake after mistake. And he played a large part in why the Chiefs went got packed went uh, sent packing that day and didn't play in the Super Bowl against the Rams. Like he played horrible. But what's so funny is how quickly we forget how he was just a quarter before that in the previous 10 quarters. The previous 10 quarters, Patrick Holmes had more touchdowns than Tom Brady had in, in any postseason ever. Any, the most touchdowns Tom Brady has ever had in a postseason was ten. Patrick Holmes had eleven in those ten quarters, and I think that what we're doing here is we're playing "What Have You Done for Me Lately" to to the extreme, and because Patrick Holmes has been so great for so long now, if he's not perfect, we almost we almost criticize or demonize him for that fact. And I'm not trying to just sit here and defend his honor because he doesn't need me to do so. He's going to have 12 to 15 more great great seasons. And Chief, the Chiefs are going to win more Super Bowls and get to more Super Bowls. And yes, that did hurt the fact that the Chiefs didn't get back there. They should have been in the Super Bowl last year. And Patrick Mahomes should have played better. But when you look at the numbers of how well he's played in the pocket, and and, and granted, yes, Patrick Mahomes should improve his game. He's going to constantly improve his game. It's like playing guitar. You're never going to master the craft. You're going to have to constantly get better. But how much better could Patrick Mahomes possibly be? That's the thing I want to know. I Remember, just, just five years ago, man, we're sitting here looking at Alex Smith as the Chiefs quarterback and thinking, man, if we can just get a little bit better. If the Chiefs can just get a little bit better at quarterback, they can get in the Super Bowl. They could potentially win the Super Bowl because they have the roster, they have the coaching staff, they just had a quarterback that's a little bit better. Patrick Mahomes is astronomically better than Alex Smith could have ever dreamed of being. And now we're sitting here pick, pick, nitpicking what he was in the pocket this last season or, the, or throughout his career. Well, history tells me that he is historically great in the pocket and history tells me he's historically great, period. So... I think these are off-season conversations that are just being had. I don't think we would have these on a normal basis throughout a football season. I know he had his struggles last year, but those were literally his first struggles of his career. Mm. He has more three-touchdown games in his career than zero-touchdown games in his career. In fact, it's twice as many three-touchdown games as zero-touchdown games in his career. He had 13 total interceptions last year. By the way, seven of them were tipped passes as wide receivers, and that was the most he's ever had in a season. Thirteen, that's an average season for most quarterbacks.
0: So yeah, when it when it comes to the the, the pocket stuff, though, I, I think a lot of this has started with Patrick Mahomes because he was so great, so fast. They had to find something to nitpick, like you said, his what it is and how he's finding unconventional ways to be so great because he is unconventional. That's that, That's the. That's what I think people are trying to turn into a knock on his on his game, is that he. His pocket presence is weird. His his footwork is weird. Yeah, you know what I mean. But we've seen how many shooters in the NBA that have weird forms and like, oh, this guy's never going to be able to shoot in this game. You know, and and then they become good shooters. Yeah, you know, guys like we saw Sean Marion, who was a good, a great player for many years, had a weird weird shot, but he was a good free throw shooter. He had a really weird form, everything. But this is what I'm saying. Like we, we think you think the fundamentals are what they are, and they are set when you when you're playing quarterback. And I think that's starting to change now with guys like Patrick Mahomes that are that are you know that can do it all. that can throw from all these weird platforms and different angles and things like that. He's kind of changing the fundamentals, and it's making people uncomfortable because that that and it's forcing them to be like, how is he still doing that? Because what you, you notice when they when we talk about his his pocket presence and his his success with the clean pocket and being a good pocket passer, they're not using numbers, right? Because his numbers are defeating their own argument, so they don't want to defeat their own argument while they're making that argument. They just want to go off what they're seeing, how his footwork wo- looks when he's playing. Yet he's still making the throws. Right. You know what I mean? Like so that it's a self defeating argument there because they don't want to use the numbers because the numbers are what they are. His fundamentals are weird. You know what I mean? Like the the the, the base that he he throws from a lot of times is weird, but he's making the throws and he's the most successful quarterback at the highest, quickest rate ever. And he, he is who he is. Like, you don't have to like it, but you can't sit there and say he's not good for, because the numbers will defeat that. So I just I really think it's this purest approach to the game, similar to what we see a lot of these old heads in the NBA talking about, you know, all these guys do is shoot three-pointers three and, and get tattoos and shit. All that kind of stuff. Like, that's the, that's the kind of vibe I get. It's that get-off-my-lawn kind of vibe from, look, man, the game is changing whether you like it or not. You know, Patrick Mahomes is going to go out there and, and throw for forty five hundred to five thousand a season, whether you like it or not. Whether you like his how he's throwing it and what how his feet are planted when he throws it, that doesn't matter. The throws are being made, and his numbers show it, and his QBR and his QB rating, everything is. The numbers are there, whether you like it or not, whether you like what you're seeing on film or not. Ask his ask his teammates. I think they're okay with how he's throwing the ball, right? So, ask this, his playoff this, record. Stuff I think like it's that. Going okay. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. I just don't really. I don't even. I'm just like cool. Like you don't like you, you don't think he's a very good pocket present pocket passer. Well, the numbers say otherwise. The film shows otherwise. So you don't have to like how he's planting his feet. Could he improve on things? Yeah, that's even a scary thought in itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I don't even I just don't understand. Like people just when you, when there's greatness, this is how it always is. Whether it was Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Shaq, there's always critiques. They have to find critiques to, to, you know, to, to a great player. So Patrick Mahomes is, just, is not exempt from that. So any great player, there's going to have to be some kind of way to bring him back down to earth. You know what I mean? So I just think this is one of those things. But go watch the film. He's making the plays. He's getting it done. The numbers show too. So I, you can say what you want. It really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things when he's out there getting the Ws.
3: Yeah. Uh, I feel like they had to nit, nitpick. Nit, how do you say it? Nit, nit, nitpick. nitpick. Yeah. yeah nitpick. Something out of Patrick Mahomes, and, and I mean, it was, it was uh, very obvious for everybody to see that his pocket, his yeah, his pocket presence is pretty bad. His pocket read was not great. He was always looking to to leave the pocket and make those extend the plays, and therefore it led to mistakes, it led to uh, fumbles, and it led to 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 stuff like that, turnovers. Mm-hmm. So yes, we all saw the, the the little the little things of him leaving the pocket too early, or mm. him his feet work in the pocket, or him not be being able to stand in the pocket. It, that's a tru- it's, that's a trust thing. Yeah, because it, he was struggling. He's having terrible but for towards, two seasons. But if you saw towards if you saw towards the end of the season last year, because we all saw it the throughout the beginning of the uh the the, the season that he, yes he did struggle and he left the pocket too early. He was not used to having a clean pocket right. for more than three to four seconds. Uh. So obviously this whole revamped offensive line kind of uh, helped a little bit of, of of that uh like Trevor says a lot of, it's it's a mind game kind of thing it, it's just him having confidence trust. Yep. trust on that offensive line and obviously he didn't have it that season prior or the, all the seasons since he's he's been in the league up until this year this past season so as, as the season progressed his reading his, his pocket presence was a lot more we saw Patrick Mahomes literally standing in the pocket for almost 10 seconds in certain games it was just and, and he was starting to be more calm do, doing those quick slants doing those quick throws uh, it wasn't always going for the shot kill uh, so it, I like how Patrick Mahomes adjusted to obviously what we all saw but again the media and and all, about all those uh, critique out there of, of the game, they have to find something to critique him in, and that is the only thing that they have on Patrick Mahomes is his pocket, his pocket press. Well, man, remember That's, all
0: the the almost interceptions they're talking about? Yeah, yeah, the new <laughs> uh, what was that PFF new uh, yeah, yeah almost and,
3: interception. And,
2: and again, even the interception aspect, again. Over half of his interceptions last well, year were tip balls yeah. by Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I mean four or, of them more. Yeah, four. even if you take away four interceptions last year, he still has under double digit interceptions with almost forty. Touchdown passes. Yes, that's that's Aaron Rodgers esque. That's what Aaron Rodgers does for the last decade plus. And 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 to the the point, like I, I was even I was listening to these guys uh, talk too, and and I like their show. I appreciate what Stephen St. John, and these guys do. I, I do like their show, but I was just I was vehemently disagreeing with them on this. Is that uh, something a comment they also made was it, 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 they need to play more like Texas Tech days with Patrick Mahomes. I'm like, okay, well that goes against everything you're saying about footwork because he was out he was there just of the running pocket. around yeah. chaotic and all and An then and then somebody place. then somebody else was saying that well to have longevity and winning a long time in this, career, in, this in, in the NFL you have to play like Tom Brady where you're inside the pocket more which I don't disagree with when you get older but when you're a yeah. younger player like he like Patrick is with already nimble feet like he does even Brent Favre played like this into his mid 30s and late 30s he was more nimble and he Aaron played Rogers. 292 consecutive or 297 consecutive games yeah Rogers pushing 40 guys more. So. Nimble, We're yes, more nimble in the pocket. Right. Patrick Holmes literally won the Bills game with his feet, ran for almost 70 yards that game. So, I, I disagree with that and the fact you got to play like Tom Brady because I think Tom Brady is a misconception in itself. Because why Tom Brady won so many Super Bowls, as we all know, <laughs> is because he had elite defenses right. every and, damn year.
3: And, and also, you got to have to put into account like the game is totally different than what it was 100%. I and we've we now see it, uh. It started to where a lot – is a lot more mobile quarterbacks. And, and we've seen – yes, uh Tom Brady won the Super Bowl, what, 2019? 2018, yeah. 2018. That's his last Super Bowl. And we've started to see a lot more mobile quarterbacks and a lot a lot of teams going more, more mobile. And we've seen – uh no, it was
2: 2020, right? No. With the Bucks yes. The yeah, Patriots, yeah. he won the last – I know what you meant, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay.
3: Yeah, so – it's starting. It's starting to move away from the from the from those quarterbacks to just stand in the pocket and and make the place happen. It's yeah. going away. It's going towards. It's kind of like the the uh, the three point uh, three point thing for the NBA. How it went from uh, being in the basket under the basket and making those those uh, in the paint whatever they call yeah. it to the to the to the threes mm-hmm. with uh, Steph Curry and the Wars kind of style of play. It's kind of the same with the with the NFL. It went from quarterbacks being in the pocket to now. Having to have a quarterback that's mobile enough to extend drives because if you don't have that now, more skill set. It's more if the defense is more like like Trevor's. There's more skill set to this to the defense now. Yeah, yeah gone so, are the days
0: where if you don't have a if you don't have a star quarterback in this league, you're not winning. You're win well, exactly. And more so at
2: this point, it's like you're saying, Eddie, it's dual threat quarterbacks because yeah. outside of Tom Brady, all the best quarterbacks in the league are guys that can run, they can create plays on their feet. Yeah, every single one of them. You think about it. Pat, even Joe Burrow, as immobile as he looks at times, oh, he can he's go mobile, out there and yeah. get yeah he can go out there and get his yards. Yeah. he can the out there and extend he was, extend drives. He, he can extend drives with his feet. So even guys like that, but you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe, Joe Burrow, or, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, Lamar Jackson, even Aaron Rodgers, those yeah those like guys that. can create. And, yeah. and he's and he's shit right now. So I, li- I like Zach my point Wilson, though but... is these guys can go can do things that guys 20, 30 years ago just <laughs> simply couldn't do outside of like Steve Young, Randall Cunningham, and Warren Moon guys like that those. Freak athletes at the quarterback position, even John Elway, who wasn't as good as people thought he was. But the point is, these guys could do that, and that is what set them apart. So it's no different now. And I think that that that's this. You have to play in the pocket. To your point, also Eddie, that I, I appreciated, which is something I was about to say. Also, is the fact that this was also a season where his entire offensive line was completely changed, mm. and for the better we can add. But it was a completely different offensive line. He had to learn and trust these guys, yeah, and they're trust. more of a. This offensive line is more of a run style offensive line, the majority of these guys in the, in the starting five are guys that came from running style off, or offenses, whether in college or in their former teams. So that's also an adjust, adjustment for Patrick Mahomes. Because as we all know, Andy Reid's offense is more of a pass friendly offense. Mm-hmm. And we know the guys like Orlando Brown Jr. and Trey Smith, Joe Tooney, and those guys came from offenses that like to run the ball a lot. Creed Humphrey as well. So that is an adjustment for the entire offense, let alone the quarterback who has to trust these guys to protect him while he's trying, going out here creating plays while the in, in the entire nfl essentially completely reorganized how they attack patrick Mahomes. so there was a lot for him to take on in one year and even with that he had a 111 quarterback rating last year in the pocket so let's give him some credit here man i think it's time that we do that i i know i'm one of the guys out here that get, gets called a patrick mahomes yeah, homer uh, but when the numbers are this great it's hard not and to i will be.
0: say i will say i think a reason that his not his his quarterback rating was still that great in the pocket it was because I think the offense, we, we played a different offense last year, similar. It was, we took shots downfield, but not nearly as much. We got rid of the ball a lot quicker. And when you got speed, that's a good thing to do. Cause we even, that's how it was with Alex Smith. He tried try to get the ball out as quick as possible. Cause when the play broke down, his eyes were down, not right. downfield. So I think that, I think that's something we'll see continue this next season. I think getting the ball out quickly is always helpful, especially when you got speed and when you got field stretchers, you can you know that can open things up for the offense. So I think that was a reason why. And he's still adjusting. I think Patrick Mahomes is still evolving as a player. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, there's grow, there's and, growth there. Yeah,
3: I was very very uh, advocate on on Andy Reid adding those Alex Smith kind of plays to yeah. Patrick Mahomes it's, style that's of game, football, West Coast offense. Because going going uh, for the deep ball every single time, obviously teams are going to adjust to that, and obviously they did last year and we saw how bad we struggled offensive-wise until Andy Reid realized, like, okay, we need to do those quick little slants and get the ball out of Patrick, Patrick yeah. Mahomes' hands quick. So he brought some of that Alex Smith style of play. So I, I love that. Look, man,
0: yeah. that football is not a friendly sport. No no player ever, ever has come into this league and never gotten figured out to some degree, ever. Like, as great as Patrick Mahomes is, as great as he changed the game, especially he changed the culture here in Kansas City, there's going to be play, There's going to be defensive coordinators. There's going to be schemes that are going to be t- difficult for him. That are, they're certain they're going to figure him out to a certain degree, not entirely, because he has the you know the um, uh, the intangibles to overcome certain things. Whether you think you got him or not, or you got him in a gotcha moment or not, Patrick Holmes has that will and that sheer talent to overcome certain things. But this game will catch up to you. This game will figure you out. Defenses are smart and you know i mean this thats that's a part of growth it's a part of evolving he's just he's hitting his he didn't hit he didn't have a slow start that's what i'm saying this is what's so different about patrick mahomes career is he started off just shooting out a rocket you know what i mean so like his 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 trajectory is going to be different his his shortcomings are i don't even want to call them shortcomings but they're going to come in, in areas where most people have them you know year one year two you know what i mean so his his yeah, it took, it right. took
3: a, what, four seasons for Patrick to get figured out, quote-unquote? Yeah. Quote, yeah. His, uh,
0: right. right. So.
3: Fair points all across
2: the board, man. That's where I'm at. Now, we have the pleasure of being joined by somebody. He's been the managing editor for Chiefs Wire since April of 2018. He's covered the Kansas City Chiefs since 2016 with credits and features across the USA Today network, and he is a member of the Pro Football Writers of America, he graduated from Lake Forest College in 2012 with a Bachelor's Degree in Communications and Anthropology. And he's just a general badass that I'm so excited to finally get to talk football with on this show, this platform. Let's give it up for Mr.
4: Charles Goldman. How we doing, Charles? How's it going, Lance? Thanks. That's a hell of an introduction. And plus, I mean you guys used a special show number for me, 169. Yeah. Come on. You got to be nice
2: around here, man. You know what I mean? And you coordinated with honest. me. I think that you knew. I think you were counting the episodes and you're like, you know, that's the one I want, you know what I mean?
4: But but yeah, let's let's uh let's leave it at that.
2: <laughs> well, first and foremost, Charles, thanks for uh, joining us today, man. Um, what I like to do is I, I want our listening audience or viewing audience to really know the person. So that's where I want to start. Uh, how did you get involved with Chiefs Wire? How did you get involved? I know we obviously read off your credentials here. Good. But what was the motivating force, the, the driving force for you to really get into this? Uh, did you grow up a Chiefs fan? Just just give us a, a general synopsis of what took sure. place, man.
4: Sure, yeah. Uh, born in Kansas City, uh, Missouri, St. Luke's Hospital. I, was, <laughs> I lived there the first 10 years of my life. Uh, my family, my father, my uncle, uh, my grandpa, grandma, everybody was a Chiefs fan. Um, in fact, my grandpa played cards with Hank Strand, but that, that's probably a story for, for like another nice. day. But um, no, and, and the Chiefs have always been a, a big part of my life, and uh, my, my family, we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico for work um, when, when I was about 10, 11 years old. And, uh, my, you know, Albuquerque, they don't have pro sports teams. Right. So, uh, um, no, but you
2: did have breaking bad. That's pretty it cool. Was. Well, yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Actually fun, fun fact. My parents live right around the corner from, uh, I, I think it was like Jesse Pinkman's house uh, that they, they filmed it at in Breaking no Bad. They shit. always have, they always have the tours go by in like the RV yeah. camper. Yeah. you know, <laughs> It'll take like an <laughs> RV camper full of people through our neighborhood. But um, no, so it, anyhow, we moved to to Albuquerque, and I uh, I kept up with the Chiefs because they didn't have a, a pro sports team for for me to get behind. Um, and, and it was just kind of interesting how I, I was able to yeah. Be be a fan, you know, and this was at a time when like, you know, still like social media and all that wasn't really a big thing. So keeping up with it was a little bit more difficult. So, you know, I had to find a way to get like a subscription to Casey Starr and whatnot and get that all the way out in Albuquerque. It was, it was fun, though. Um, and yeah, no. And I, uh, I never actually envisioned writing uh, or covering a sports team professionally as my career. Um, i started as a hobby writing about the draft uh, with about.com back in uh, 20, 2016 2015 2016 and um, I, uh, I i was covering the chiefs and the draft and eventually they discontinued their their NFL sites and my managing editor at the time was Wesley Roche and he ended up uh, coming over here and founding chiefs wire with uh, with USA Today sports media Group and um, so he, he asked me and another fellow, Mr. John Dillon, um, who was also writing at about.com to to come help him out, launch this new site. And uh, I, I was just like I said, I was doing it as a hobby. I was doing it for fun. And uh, eventually he moved on to bigger and better things. And I ended up uh, turning it into a career. I really like it, man, because I was telling the guys before the show
2: and actually in our our introduction, and and I'm not saying this because you're on the show, but because you're on the show, I'm going to say it. Um, Chiefs Wire is one of those websites that I go to because I know that I'm getting adequate source material. You guys aren't these one of these, you know, we got you with the click, clickbait type of stuff. You guys are giving us honest opinions, honest facts. You guys are really just putting it out there and letting us digest it the way that we think that football should be digested. It's a very honest uh, uh, place, and I always know that when I go there, I'm going to get something that I didn't know before. In fact, when I was doing my draft grades on Karloftis and and, and McDuffie and all the guys that the Chiefs drafted in this draft class, I went to you guys first, and I ended up just sticking there and, and taking a lot of your quotes and crediting you with a lot of the quotes that we used on the show man so you guys are doing a great thing i know you say he went on to greater bigger and better things but i think you guys have big and bad things big and big and awesome things at chief's wire now man
4: he he went on to bigger and better things and he he actually ended up coming back and and now he's working with me so (laughs) it's no it's fun it's um you know we're we're just like a big family at chief's wire and we all love the the team and Uh, are very passionate about it and we're passionate about getting the right right info out there and making sure that everything's you know sourced credible and uh and factual so yeah i uh i I do appreciate that and uh i i'm i'm glad that that it's able to help you guys out and, and help you stay informed oh more than you know
2: man more than you know and speaking of facts there's a couple facts that have been out here that you guys actually dropped out there when it came to Travis Kelsey and, and you know, George Kittle out there pumping his guy up, letting him know, hey, you know, this guy needs to get paid better. Tight ends need to get paid better. And I'm sure that there's something that, you know, George Kittle's doing here for himself, you know, and before he gets to retire, maybe he'll get a big contract and tight ends will start being treated more like receivers because they're being utilized a lot like receivers in today's NFL. And Travis Kelsey, I think I had some really got, good thoughts and good sayings. And I believed what he was saying because Travis Kelsey, to me, seems as an honest person that he is who he says he is and who he shows you to be and when he said that he's here in Kansas City help win games and this is where he's at and money is a secondary thing to him he wants to win that's his goal I, I presented it in a way that it isn't to downplay what Tyreek Hill is or what his mindset is in fact I want to glorify both because there are two former teammates that won together that produced together unlike any other duo really in NFL history and They had two different mindsets this offseason one was a guy that wanted to go out there and make record-breaking money and the other guys like I'm good I got my money. I want to stay here I want to build a legacy here and potentially his second act to be in you know Broadcasting which more likely will be the case for Travis Kelsey whereas Tyreek Hill has other things. He's a He's a family man. He wants to go out there and make generational wealth even though Travis Kelsey's done that but at a higher degree And I think both need to be respected, both need to be admired, because as our uh, co-host Eddie said here, you come into this league to fulfill your own goals, whatever those goals are, whether it's to win, and that's your ultimate goal, or you want to go out here and make as much money as possible. They both need to be respected, and and I think that Travis being honest like that really gave us that perspective that it's okay to have one or the other if one or the other is more of your goal. Just give us a couple of your takeaways with the Travis Kelsey comments, and, and what do you think that his how his legacy is going to. End here in Kansas City because we've had Titans here before. We've had George Brett's, we've had Patrick Mahomes and Lynn Dawson, but I think Travis Kelsey's really put himself in that place where he is going to be one of those, you know, the founding fathers or you know, one of those guys that people always look at the Mount Rushmore kind of guys.
4: Yeah, I I think you're right on the money with that. Um, You know, I look with uh, with Kelsey's comments. uh, I think you know a lot of people took it and ran with it and and saw it almost as a shot at like Tyree kill and his mentality. But I, I didn't take it that way at all. I just think, you know, he's, he's in a spot right now. It's, it's different situations, right? Because Tyree kill hadn't, I mean, he had a contract uh, extension with the chiefs, but you know, he had the stuff going on off the field that kind of kept him from really getting the contract that he deserved at the time. So I, I think with Kelsey, he's on his, what, his third, this is his third contract. So, I I mean, they're, they're at different spots I think in their, in their career, when it comes to, uh, the, the contract situation, like, I, I think Tyree kills next contract when he gets one, uh, presumably will, will not be, you know, crazy record setting money. Like he saw in this, in this last one. Um, and, and I, you know, I think it's okay that that they're at those different points in their career uh, where where they can, you know, kind of kind of diverge on those, you know, two different paths. But um, and I, Kelsey, he's just uh, he's incredible player, incredible person. I, I think we don't fully appreciate right now um, what we have. It, it's one of those things where you don't, you know, I, I don't think you're going to fully appreciate it until until he's gone and retired. Yeah. Um, and the people trying to downplay his production and and just how important he is to to this football team and their success on the offensive side of the ball that that boggles my, my mind he's just uh uh he's a beast i i you know i mean the guys up there with with the greats you know the Tony Gonzalez Antonio Gates i mean he's like his production is is going to reach in certain areas he's probably it's probably not going to reach the, the touchdowns that Gates had. Probably not going to reach the yards that that Gonzalez had. But I mean, it, there's a possibility he does too, because you got to look at at Kelsey. He's out here at OTAs right now. All right. He's grinding with the young players when it's all voluntary. He, he, he knows how to keep his body in peak shape. Um, And and he hasn't really missed a whole lot of games save for that rookie season. So uh, I, I just think that If he can keep that consistent production up, if he can still, you know, he's still going to be the same guy, you know, in the locker room, off the field. Uh, If they can keep winning games, having success in the postseason, he's going to have a legacy, uh, probably unlike really any player that we've seen in Kansas City so far.
2: I like it. Uh, we saw that you guys had posed about Justin Ross, and we saw the incredible one-handed catch that was all over the internet. People were talking about it across the board, and rightfully so. This guy had an incredible breakout year with the Clemson Tigers out there in college. Uh, he showed that at the at the biggest stages, he could play at a high level. Now, we know that he's got some pretty significant injuries to overcome. Uh, we know he has spinal injury stuff. You know, he's got things that he's got to overcome. But I think there is something here, man. I think that there might be something special there. I don't know if it's going to be this year. I don't know if it's ever going to be any year. But I think this guy's got the talent and the capabilities to do something special here in Kansas City if, if given that opportunity to do so. And I know that you uh, put, posted an article this week about the the catch was great, but there was more to it. If you could expand on that and tell our listening and viewing audience what you meant by that, that'd be great, man.
4: Yeah, so uh, Patrick Mahomes, he kind of you know explained it. But it, it was kind of the fact that the catch was just like a normal, normal thing for for Ross, right? Like usually you make like a crazy catch. You, you know, you see guys get a little braggadocious and like, you know, trying to to hype it up and like, did you see that? Like, but you know, I mean, Ross just went right back to the huddle, you know, per per Kelsey and Mahomes. He he didn't, you know, he didn't get hyped up about the catch. It was just like a. You know, all in a day's work for me, Superman over here. Um, but no, I I, um, I, think with Ross, I mean, you know, we mentioned that the injuries, the foot and the, the, uh, the neck, uh, back, whatever. Um, look, he wouldn't be out there and playing right now if they didn't feel comfortable and confident that he is recovered and, you know, capable. Um, so I, I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see once the pads come on, once there's full contact. Uh, allowed if they're cautious at all because right now you know shorts and, and what have you I, I don't think they will be my understanding is that he is fully cleared uh contact all that uh and he'll I mean he's get he's getting opportunities he's getting opportunities with the first team that that catch was thrown you know from Patrick Mahomes so um Really, right now, I mean, at OTAs, they're they're doing these mixed rep periods where they don't really, you know, go through and and you know, have a first team, second team, third team. They just throw everybody in the fire to kind of see, you know, what what do we got? And um, so the the you know, you're getting guys like uh, Justin Ross, other Justin, Justin Watson, uh, Patrick Mahomes was raving about him. Um, So. There are a lot of different receivers right now. I mean, cornell Powell he had a, a on Thursday. He had a touchdown catch. Um, there are a lot of receivers right now, and Mahomes even said like some of these guys aren't going to make the team and are going to go on to make other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I think that's a good thing. That tells you that this group's extremely competitive and that the right guys are going to come out of.
2: On the defensive side of things, we know that this is the time of year where guys are saying all the good stuff, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life. This is the best team I've ever been on. But something that Justin Reed has been speaking about when it comes to the Spagnola's when it comes to Spagnola's defense and how versatile it is, how much fun he's having, and how, you know, going against this great offense that the Chiefs have has been a great sharpening tool for this defense that has a, a lot of new players, a lot of day one guys that have never been with the Chiefs. Um There's something about Justin Reed and how he, I think, is viewing this as a a challenge accepted type of situation because Justin Reed, to this point in his career, hasn't won really anything, and the only real playoff game, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that he's been on, or maybe he was against the Bills uh, a few years ago, but I know that he was a part of that Texans team that gave up uh, a 51-7 run to the Chiefs. I think him now being on a team where they have a legitimate chance of winning the Super Bowl is something that I think does excite him, and a a guy like him coming in here to be a leader, a captain of this defense, if you will, can lift these young guys and believe Because I like Travis Kelsey, buying into the OTAs, going out there and competing at soon to be 33 years old to me is going to lift some of these young guys on the offensive side like Justin Ross and some of these younger guys, uh, Sky Moore, even Juju Smith-Schuster who's trying to reconfigure his career. I think guys like Justin Reed coming here and doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying is going to do that on the defensive side especially when you consider the fact that we don't know what this pass rush is going to be so we're going to need the secondary to be as solid as possible and give us as much as they possibly can immediately because this, this schedule starts off hot. Charles, give me your thoughts on the Justin Reed situation. What are you
4: expecting from Justin Reed this year? Yeah, I I look, I think he's really excited to to be here first of all. I mean, when you're on a losing team, it's like tough mentally, physically. Like it, it's hard to really get like amped up and um, to really like hone in and do your job, especially when there's like so many things going on like off the field with with Deshaun and then like the coaching and front office drama in Houston. I mean, that stuff wears on players, whether they like to admit it or not um, because they're just in it for the football and some of that stuff bleeds into the football. And, um, you know, I think you're seeing like a, a reinvigorated player. I know like a lot of people are, are looking at, you know, his stats and whatnot. They see his PFF grade and they're like, eh, I don't know about this. I don't know if this guy can come in and be, you know, what, what Tyron Matthew was to the defense or, you know, what have you. But um, I, I think you're going to get the best version of Justin Reed in Kansas City. I think the coaching staff, I mean, he, he's basically come out and said it, that, that he undoubtedly thinks this is the most fun defense he'll have played in. Um, but, but I just think it's, it's probably the best type of system for him, uh, very hands on in terms of the coaching staff and, um, really just, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to be versatile and have these different roles within the defense, uh, kind of keeps you on your toes as a, a defensive player. And, um, you know, I mean, he's a smart guy. I think he likes that type of challenge. Um. So I, I, am excited for, for Justin Reed and to see, uh, you know, what, what he's got going on here. And then, you know, he's got a, a, another teammate from the Texans coming over too, that I think is kind of in the same situation, Lonnie Johnson. Um, and that's a guy that we need to watch out for potentially, you know, maybe coming in and starting too, uh, or, you know, you know, playing a significant role. We know he can do stuff on special teams. He, you know, uh, picked up a, a punt block in that, uh, Texans game, that playoff game against us and scored. So, um, I, I, I think that those two guys, we're going to get different players than, than they saw at the Texans just because of the situation. I think, you know, that's going to be an eye opener for, for some Houston fans too, to understand, Hey, like our culture, our organization (laughs) culture has not been good. We're seeing these guys thrive when they go to different teams. You know, it's like, uh, uh, Mark Lane of uh, Texans Wire, he wrote an article because, you know, after the Lonnie Johnson trade, he's like, "What? what is it that the Chiefs see in these Texans defensive backs that the Texans don't, you know? Um, and, and I think they're, they're understanding that they have a, a culture and um, a, a system in which they can succeed. Hmm. That's interesting.
2: So we know that the Chiefs, in my opinion at least, I don't know how you feel, Charles, but I think the Chiefs have the best – coaching staff in the NFL, uh, especially after bringing in Matt Nagy. I think he's a he was a proven head coach. He went to the playoffs twice with Mitchell Trubisky as his quarterback. I think that, to me, gets you plenty of credence and, and, <laughs> and clout in this league. But he came back to Kansas City to, to help this offense. Uh, the Chiefs obviously have Andy Reid, who I think right now is the best coach in football. And then you have Steve Spagnuolo, one of the best defensive minds in football. And then there's Eric Bieniemy, who I think should have been a head coach years ago. Uh, but there's still a lot of criticisms out there about Eric Bieniemy, and one in particular uh, former running back for the Chiefs, Lashawn McCoy, and some of the quotes that he had had basically was saying that the reason Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a head coaching job or hasn't got one to this point is because people in the league know who he really is. It isn't because he's a black coach. It isn't anything racially motivated. And then when Lashawn was pressed, it was this was on the Brandon Marshall's uh, I Am Athlete podcast this week. Um, He wouldn't get into it after that. He wouldn't go into further detail. Now, I don't really appreciate that from LaShawn because if you're going to say something to that magnitude, you need to say it earlier in the show, not at the tail end because you know you don't have to get into specifics, but the specifics he gave were some pretty heavy accusations saying that Eric Biennium was coming to him basically sideways and wasn't giving him the proper respect and was talking to some players that way and they would take it, but LaShawn wouldn't take it. I think that there's a little bit of bitterness involved in this because LaShawn obviously had a love for Andy Reid and played for Andy Reid at multiple places and it didn't go the way he wanted it to. He lost a lot of playing time. He had a fumbling problem here in Kansas City and like really anywhere else at least at the volume that he had it here. But I think there is something to this that we need to maybe look a little close into. I'm not saying that what he's saying about Eric Bieniemy is true, but I think there's always a little smoke that leads to a fire if you will the fire may not be it be big but there might be truth to this and the fact that we've heard other reports this offseason about eric being having problems with patrick mahomes there was an issue at the afc championship during halftime or the communication problems charles where do you stand on this man do you think there's any truth to what lashawn is saying or do you think he's just a an old retired bittered fo- former football player
4: I, I mean i think it's a little both um we, we know that eric b is a hard ass you hear him if, if- training camp motherfuckering guys out in the <laughs> middle of the field. I mean, like he he uh he he has a brand of coaching that maybe it's a little old school, maybe uh it, it's a little tough on some guys. Um but like at the end of the day, you know, it it's 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 tough love, right? You know, he, he's trying to get the best that he can out of his players. This is something that Andy Reid said, like his job is to get as much as he possibly can out of his players. And, you know, if if something's not right, like he's going to let you know about it. He's, he's not going to just like shy away or, you know, you know, not say something to, to hurt, you know, so he doesn't hurt your feelings. Mm. Like his job is to make these guys the best in the world. Um, so yeah I, I think you know um, there, there's probably some truth to uh, to the fact that his coaching style, that that type of coaching style maybe is something that you know NFL owners don't see as uh, you know something that could be successful at the head coaching level. I don't know I, that's entirely possible. I, I just think that you know look look at look at uh, the success that this team has had with him as their offensive coordinator. Uh, he there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and now I think uh, LaShawn actually went back on the I Am Athlete to like after like the response from Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey. I think he went back on. I saw something about it last night uh, to like elaborate a little bit. But uh, look, it it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, it, LaShawn, he was – towards the end of his career went on the next year he had like 10 carries with the Buccaneers (laughs) I I mean uh there if there's if there's smoke with the Eric B stuff there's certainly smoke with that right there so uh you you know look I think there's some bitterness uh, on the behalf of LaShawn and sure he probably has some right to be I mean a guy works real hard all his career he gets to you know, playoffs with, with the Chiefs and has an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl and he doesn't even get a snap, not even a carry. Gets a healthy scratch. Um, I, that would make me bitter. I think that'd make any of us bitter. So uh, I, I, I think there's there's probably a little bit to it with the with the enemy stuff. I don't, I, you know, uh, I, I think you look at, at his reputation, his record with the team, the good things that are said about him, um, and, and you know like you you know that he's deserving of an opportunity yeah. um I, I don't think that stuff is is preventing him from from being a head coach if it is it's the silliest thing i've ever heard.
2: yeah i'm with you on that uh, a couple more questions here for you charles and we're gonna get you out of here because we appreciate your time greatly man we know you're a busy man and um you know i'm, I'm kind of upset i don't see the puppy man you know i don't know what's going on with that oh, but Teddy. False I mean, advertisement. You know, Teddy.
4: <laughs> <laughs> is the puppy there? Yeah. Really yeah. Cool. There we
0: go. He's angry.
4: He needs I'm <laughs> trying to get him groomed yesterday, and the groomer canceled. It's harder to get an appointment to get my dog groomed out here yeah. than it is to get, like, my license at the MVD. Like, oh, like yeah. it's easier to get a license. Oh, come on, Ted, say hello. <laughs> What's his name? There we go. This is Teddy. Hey Teddy, oh, he, he's being a, a wiggle work. Right he's now. a
2: little, he's it's a man, man. I just, I just got uh, two little Shih Tzu uh, Pinscher uh, mixes puppies, man, and so we're we're loving them. Um, but like I said, Charles, I want a couple couple questions for you. and Get back to Teddy. I, I I consume a lot of content here in Kansas City when it comes to the Chiefs. I, I love hearing other people's opinions in Kansas City, and and something I heard on eight ten on the Border Patrol with Stephen St. John, uh, a couple him and his co-hosts. One of the co-hosts was was speaking about Patrick Mahomes and how if he wants to have sustained uh, success in, Can- or in Kansas City and, and win more Super Bowls, he has to play more like Tom Brady where he plays within the pocket. And I, I agree with some of that, but then they went on to say that his, his pocket presence needs to be better, uh, his footwork needs to be better. Now, I think that he has to get better. I don't know how much better Patrick Mahomes can be and it's a lot like playing guitar you never actually master the craft. Jimi Hendrix, you know Stevie Ray Vaughan those guys never mastered the guitar they could always get better but how much better could they possibly be and I looked up the numbers uh, from 2018 through 2021 Patrick Mahomes has an average quarterback rating of 119.5 in the pocket in a clean pocket where he's able to deliver the ball without any real problems. And for me, I think that it's nitpicking, especially when the fact that it's 14 points higher than his own record for the highest quarterback rating of all time. And so I think that we've gotten to a place now, just my personal opinion, where we've seen Patrick be so great that when he has a second half like he did against the Bengals, which was abysmal, purely abysmal. I think that we look at it and say, wow, you know, this God can bleed. And now we need to kind of be a little more critical on him. I don't think that's the approach we need to take, but I want to hear your opinion on this, Charles.
4: Yeah. I, you know, um, Patrick has kind of set the bar too high, right? Right. That's that's kind of, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it. But I I think there is always going to be room for, for improvement, things he can do better. I mean, I think you look at the offense just just last year um, and what they wanted to do with these you know, explosive plays down the field and how teams were kind of taking that away and they weren't really able to adjust in the way that they wanted to. They didn't really have the personnel, right? So they didn't have the receivers they wanted to be able to kind of win in the short intermediate game to force defenses to kind of come out of that, that too high shell. Um, they probably could have run the ball a little bit more frequently, but we know it's Andy Reid. He likes to win through the passing game. So you know, that's that's probably going to be the M.O. for this offense going forward, even with, you know, great offensive line. I think maybe you'll see a little uptick in running plays. But I think with the, the new receiver core, they're a lot more well-rounded in, in which they can open up those deep passing plays for the team again. Um, you know, when when they're playing that 2 i shell, they can attack the middle of the field with their, you know, guys like Juju, guys like even MBS, Kelsey, I mean, they have a lot of guys who who have that size who can kind of win over the middle of the field justin ross now um and then you know they still have speed with miko hardman they still have speed with with mvs so i i think that the the size of the receiving core definitely brings a new element to it something that i think will enhance patrick mahomes game a little bit um i i think it'd be interesting to see one thing you know drop passes were a big issue for for kansas city and mahomes last year i'm i'm curious to see how that changes this year uh, i know they've specifically targeted guys who don't have a lot of drops in their career in terms of the veterans they brought in and you know in, in the draft they're getting guys like sky Moore who has like the biggest hands of any receiver in the draft or like justin ross who's just like you know wins at the catch point consistently so uh, i i think that we're going to see a bit of a transformation within the offense i think that in and of itself is going to make patrick Mahomes better yeah i like it one more
2: question for you here charles um I loved the draft. I thought Brett Veach did an incredible job. Uh, I love that he went all in on the secondary. I didn't anticipate that. I actually thought they were going to attack the pass rush a lot more. Nevertheless, they went and got George Karloftis, who I think is going to be a really good player. Uh, I, I don't know how effective he'll be in the rookie his rookie season. Usually, rookies have to work their way in and then become what they will uh, become and blossom into a great player, potentially. And I think George Karloftis has that opportunity. But I love the the attack he had in the secondary and brought a lot of young talent A lot of high motors, a lot of guys that aren't going to go out there and give up on plays, as as Trevor, our co-host, said last week on the show about how he loves the youth movement. He loves that they're bringing in fresh guys with the mentality of let's make big plays, let's stop big plays, and let's win some games doing so. But I, I, I didn't like the fact that the Chiefs were so conservative in bringing uh, free agent veterans to this team because I feel that's still a necessity, especially with a young team. The Chiefs have a very young roster, a very cheap roster, a very impressionable uh, a roster that needs veterans to lead the way. And I, I felt that getting, getting guys like a Melvin Ingram or a James Bradbury, and there's still some names out there, so we we could see that, change. You know, J, J, uh, JPP's still out there. And Dominick Sue, I believe, is still out there. There's names out there. But... I felt there were some guys that the Chiefs missed on or could have, have worked harder to get to bring into Kansas City or keep in Kansas City to help these guys steady along the way and help them uh, uh, get better faster, if you will, learn the game faster, if you will, because it's always nice to have that coach on the field. There's a lot of value to that. Do you agree with the way the Chiefs approach this offseason when it came to the veterans in, in particular, the draft in particular, and if there were any moves that you would have made differently, what would they have been?
4: Um... You know, I don't know if I would have made any different moves. I, I mean, I, I would have loved to see at least a little bit more smoke that they were in on the market for maybe one of the big name veteran pass rushers. But I, I, I think that just that the market for that kind of exploded in a way where they they could not be competitive. Um, but at, at the same time, I, I think, you know, um, we have to give Brett Veach a little credit for his evolution. Um, I mean, if you look back to kind of that first year where where he was in charge of things, I think you can kind of point to a little bit of anxiousness uh, and and impatience almost in his strategy, and you know, and not only the NFL draft but free agency, going out maybe trading for for Frank Clark really early. I, I think he's kind of learned that that patience kind of pays off a little bit more than than you know, the desire to go out and fill these needs immediately because there are still going to be opportunities for them to improve areas of the roster, be it the cornerback position or defensive end position or wherever. Um, You know, I was talking earlier about how the, the receiver group, how, you know, Patrick Mahomes is like, we're going to have guys who are going to go and make other rosters. Like we have that many good players. That's an asset right now. There could be a team that's, suffers a significant injury during training camp or the preseason and they're looking for a receiver and maybe they have a surplus of edge rushers and maybe all of a sudden you know a veteran or someone they like uh, that they have like becomes available to them and you know if you go out and sign like a von miller to a 120 million dollar contract that's going to completely eliminate your your flexibility to be able to go and do that and you know maybe you get a better guy who's younger and cheaper, um, you, know, uh, at, you know at you know the right right ahead of the season instead of you know at the beginning of the free agency period. So, I mean I think I think it's going to pay off for him to be patient and kind of survey everything that's out there. Um, and, and I think he's also there's a level of comfort that he has you know playing some of these young guys. I think they like what they did in the draft. I think they like what they did uh, in free agency. I think they have an idea that, you know, some of these guys that they had last year that weren't able to contribute like Joshua Kando and Malik Herring. I think they have an idea that, Hey, those guys can contribute. I I think that the coaching staff has a ton of confidence in a player like Mike Dana, uh, to come in and, and play meaningful snaps for them on the edge. Uh, he's really, I mean, he's improved every year he's been here. So I, I think, you know, that's, that's a natural kind of evolution for, for that type of player. And, um, I, I, yeah, just thinking about it, I, I don't know what I would have done differently. Um, there were a couple pass rushers that I felt in the draft that I kind of liked more than, than Karloftis, but uh, I, I didn't really, you know, one of my favorite things is going to the NFL scouting combine and getting to kind of know these guys a little bit and listen to them speak. I, I didn't get that opportunity this year, um, so I, I didn't really know a lot about Karloftis the person. And just hearing him speak, hearing what motivates him, what drives him, it's easy to see why he was a first-round draft pick, why they liked him a lot. Um, I'm kind of surprised that he lasted as long as he did, You know, especially you look at like pro football focus. They're projecting him to have the second-best edge rusher season of this first-round rookie group to Aiden Hutchinson. So yeah. I, I think that uh, – You know, when when you land players like that um, and and we can even look at like Trent McDuffie, like that's a player that wasn't even on my radar because he didn't really meet a lot of thresholds that we've seen for Steve Spagnuolo throughout his career. Um, He was a player the Chiefs didn't even think they could draft. You know, there are a couple teams like that. There there were a lot of players that were like available at certain spots and they're like, wait a second, I didn't think this guy was going to be here. I think the Bears did the same thing with with Kyler Gordon, with his with uh, McDuffie's teammate. But, um, you know, I I, I think there's a certain way that they went about the draft this year. That's going to pay off, which uh, was was looking at the value. Right. Um, Finding these guys who it's like, why why are why are they available? Leo Chanel at 103. Man, that's going to I think that one's going to turn out to be one of the biggest steals. Uh, That guy is a monster. Um, and, you know, Steve Spagnuolo, he loves linebackers who can blitz and blitz well. And this guy, he's, he's an animal when he blitzes. So, uh, yeah, there, there are a lot of moves that, that I like. Um, uh, Sky Moore, I know we haven't heard a lot of hype about him uh, so far. He was one of my favorite receivers in the draft. I, I know there wasn't a whole lot of tape out there from Western Michigan. I got a little bit of, of stuff that, that wasn't out there some practice film where you can just see him, you know, one-on-one against a guy in press and just the types of releases and ways that he could beat him. Oh man, this guy, he's, he's, uh he's fun. He's a fun player. and I think that that type of thing is going to translate to the NFL pretty quickly. Um, yeah. I, 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 I think they did a, a heck of a job and, you know, I, I don't think it's over, right. There, there's still a lot more that they can do with the roster Um in a short amount of time to improve it to to make it better than it than it even is right now
2: that's some good shit, man charles <laughs> you just laid it out that was perfect i i loved every second of that man i, I love listening to you guys over the chief's wire uh you guys make incredible content and i hope they keep you around man and um <laughs> I, like i said I do too, I go, what do you say i
4: said i do too <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it pays the uh, bills, baby. It yeah. pays the bills. That is uh, the managing editor for Chiefs Wire, Charles Goldman. Hey,
4: uh, let's let's talk about one more thing. No, go, 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 go. Before before we go, uh, I know the Orlando Brown Jr. stuff, right? With that's come out recently about him wanting to be the highest paid. Yeah, um, I just want to talk about that because people are really reacting, I think, in a negative way to that, and they don't need to be because, yeah, you know, that the highest paid, quote unquote. It's not necessarily the best or whatnot. It's just the most, you know, the most recent guy to get paid in the NFL. That's just kind of the way it works. And um, the Chiefs, by placing the franchise tag on Orlando Brown Jr., they they already have set his market in a certain way just by doing that. Um, so you know, and, and look, being being the highest paid. Right now, I mean, we look at Patrick Mahomes' contract. Right now, a couple of years down the line, it's an absolute steal. So, uh, I think there are going to be ways that, w- with his contract, which I fully expect to get done, he wants to be here. The Chiefs want him here. Uh, Patrick Mahomes loves him. He loves Patrick Mahomes. Like, like, there's, there's n- no reason for this to go sideways unless he's asking for an astronomical amount of money that, that you know they just can't do, but I think they've already prepared. And that's also one of the reasons you haven't really seen a lot of action in this kind of second wave of free agency is because they're kind of waiting for things to play out with, with Orlando Brown jr to know how much money they're going to have this year, next year, further down the line, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can make him quote unquote the highest paid, whether that's, you know, most guaranteed money, biggest average per year, you know whatever and, and there's a lot of ways that you can you know kind of offset that so that it works for you whether that's you know fake years on the contract or you know whatever uh with the void years or, um you know the, the way you arrange the money and it, it just in my experience seeing uh you know the, the the staff that handles the contracts under brett beach uh i, I think chiefs fans should be confident and. Not too concerned when they hear highest paid thrown around. Yeah,
2: and I'm glad you brought this up, Charles. And I, I wanted I wanted to add to that because this is something I've been I've been staking my flag in when it comes to Orlando Brown. First of all, the reason I've been so confident that he's a long term, uh, the the Chiefs view him as a long term solution at left tackle, is because of what they gave up to get him. Like that that's first and foremost. I, I look at the way look at the way the Chiefs for, treat Frank Clark even when he's been damn near ineffective completely. They still keep him around. They still view him as a, as a as a prized commodity at some some level. Because in my opinion, they know what they gave up to get him. And it's very similar to what they gave up to get Orlando Brown. And I think that it's a foregone conclusion. And furthermore, man, like I see a lot of folks, whenever I talk about Orlando Brown on social media, they they say that he's a a very, quote, quote, unquote, mid-left tackle. Man, I give him a lot of credit for what he did last season. For one, you're talking about going from a run-heavy offense in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson as his quarterback to transitioning to the offense that is the polar opposite and pass-heavy offense with patrick mahomes as his quarterback to transition not only, not only from that offense to the other offense but from right tackle to left tackle for a full-time job that is a i can't even put into words how difficult that is for a guy and he struggled a little bit earlier in the year i believe he gave up three or four sacks in the first six weeks after that i think he gave up one sack for the entire rest of the regular season he really put it together man he had a lot of challenges early and often in the last season I think he played very well and I think the Chiefs recognize that which is why I'm very confident that he's going to be the Chiefs left tackle for at least three to five more years because he is a guy that the Chiefs view as a prized commodity and I think you're going to see like you said maybe some fake years down the road in that contract but this man's going to make his money I just think that we're the Chiefs are kind of waiting for that is he going to get an agent is he not going to get an agent I think that's something that may have been holding back some of the language from being finalized.
4: Yeah, well, they haven't even really spoken yet because it's whether he's going to get or not get an agent. So there's been no exchanging of numbers, like, like you know, all this stuff out there about the highest paid. It's it's either coming from what his mentor said uh, in kind of like a almost like rant-like way where he just kind of listed off a lot of things that, that Orlando Brown wants to become, you know, he wants to win championships, become, you know, pro bowl player, all pro player. He wants to be the highest paid left tackle. You know what? I I don't necessarily think that was uh, a serious proclamation. And and then, you know, uh, Armando, uh, I I, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm sure that, you know, uh, whatever source he was speaking to uh, was probably, you know, either reemphasizing that or um, yeah, just reading the tea leaves, which, you know, Next player to get paid is usually the, the the most, you know, the highest paid, most expensive. That's just the way it works in the NFL. Uh, you know, look at the, the tight end contract uh, for David Njoku yesterday. No. So, uh, but anyhow, I, look, with Orlando Brown, I think we're going to see a bit of a, a transformation this year too um, because you're going to see that, that, that comfort level that he had towards the end of the season. You're going to see that progress, but also – He's been working really hard this offseason. I don't know. I, I've seen a couple of pictures of him out there, and I've heard that he's been doing a lot of things to uh, kind of work on adjusting his, his body and his athleticism to better fit the offense that Kansas City has going on right now. So, um, you know, I think he's going to be better suited now to take those, you know, longer, longer dropbacks when last year, you know, he kind of struggled with those a little early on um and and look i mean he's still you know young player highly motivated player who wants to be the best like when he came to kansas city that's what he said he wants to be recognized as the best so uh whenever you have players who are motivated and want want that for themselves it's usually a good combination
2: i couldn't agree more I could not agree more. And no matter what happens with this situation or any veteran free agents the Chiefs pick up, any cuts, anything that goes on in training camp going all the way into week one, I know where I'm going. It's gonna be a Chiefs wire because my guy, Charles Goldman, is gonna be running that motherfucker. And I am so excited and so happy and so privileged that our guy, Charles Goldman, has been here with us dropping knowledge. Just sitting here with our guy Teddy, chilling, dropping knowledge, having He's fun, talking to some Chiefs. My
4: lap right now. <laughs> Get my guy groomed up, man. Come on, he deserves yeah. it. He deserves that, that life, know, Charles. We're we're uh taking a visit uh next week back to to see my folks out in new mexico and uh i don't know we, we might have to wait until we're out there to to get him groomed i don't know it's gonna be hot out there man he, he's got to get this this winter coat off before the. i don't know how people live out
2: there man i i really i've, I've been to new mexico i've been to albuquerque it is it, i mean i saw the devil walk by in some tr- swimming trunks when i was down there bro that's how hot that place is man it's insane but the, the, the you enjoy that out time there, out there <laughs> tell tell Gustavo, Gustavo Fring and Heisenberg and uh, Saul Goodman I said hi. And I love their shows they put out there. But in the meantime, keep crushing ass, man. You're doing an incredible job over Chiefs Wire. Uh, you are a pro football uh, uh, writers uh, association member. And uh, I hear –
4: Thanks for putting that out there too because I you remember and reminded me I got to pay my my dues for the <laughs> <laughs> FWA, man. I don't I, I think gotta that comes it. up every June. I got to make sure I'm still still member. Uh, hey, hey, yeah, it's prestigious,
2: man. You got to pay for it sometimes, but you know what? You're <laughs> a part of it. They can't take that away from you unless you decide not to pay your bill. But uh, yeah. also, I hear that you uh, will write for breakfast burritos. So anybody I, out there that wants Charles Goldman's skills I, on your platform, I, breakfast burritos, baby, that'll I mean, get the job done.
4: I'm a fan. I'm, a, I'm probably gonna go make one for myself right now. So. <laughs> there <you> go, man. <laughs>
2: But in the meantime follow my guy. Uh, it's at gold MCT NFL on Twitter great follow guys gives you the, gives you what you need Man gives you what you want and what you need It's very rare you find that on a platform when it comes to chief source So go to my guy Charles Goldman and chiefs wire give him a follow give them a follow You will not be disappointed and we will have Charles Goldman back on this show before the season begins Charles Thank you so much for coming on man and dropping some knowledge today.
4: Lance, Eddie, Trev, thank you so much for having me on. Of course, man. You're
2: the best, bro. You're the best. You have a great day, man. Take care. See you, Teddy. (laughs) All right. So... So, man, Charles gave me some great viewpoints. I can't believe I didn't even ask about Orlando Brown. Uh, I think mostly it's because of the fact that there's still so much unknown. Because like he said, he doesn't even have an agent yet. Yeah, it's like when
0: he, when he was saying uh, he's going to be asking for a big number. I'm like, yeah, he literally himself is going to be asking <laughs> for it because he's representing himself yeah. right now. So I think
2: he will get an agent. I think that before training camp officially starts, that the Chiefs and Orlando will have gre- an agreement in place. I know this is something that, that myself, BJ Kissel, and others thought last offseason with Tyron Matthew. But I think this is a little bit different because Tyron Matthew was in a different stage of his career. He was a little bit older, and he plays a position that isn't as valuable as left tackle. Mm. I think these are all things that favor Orlando Brown. He just turned 26 years old. This is a guy that can play another five, six prime seasons at left tackle. And I think the Chiefs know that. And again, what the Chiefs gave up in, in order to get him... Is the reason why I know he's not going to be here just for another year. They're not going to get two years out of Orlando Brown Jr. when they traded multiple first-round picks to get the guy. I think that for sure he is a future, a future cornerstone of this offense and this team. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm I'm so confused by the way people handle the Orlando Brown Jr. Of perception because he struggled out the gate in the in the regular season, but they didn't take in consideration what I what I was laying down as the fact that he went from two extremes to another, yeah, yeah, yeah. one extreme to another, in offensive style, and immediately the pressure was on, man. The Chiefs had a tough four or five week stretch to well, start the season. a different position, too. Exactly. He wasn't,
0: he wasn't a starting left tackle for Lamar Thank Jackson. You. Yeah, Thank you. Thank
2: you. And it's his more natural position, yeah. but he was still working his way into maintaining that position. I mean, he so. did
3: play a whole season with, with the Ravens as, as left tackle. Well, so.
2: not the whole season. He played few several weeks because Ronnie Stanley got yeah. hurt. Yeah. Ronnie Stanley okay. got hurt I think it was like week three or week four, right. and then as the playoffs were coming about, Ronnie Stanley took back over, and that's what Orlando Brown was upset about was the fact that, hey, look, I've established my as a left tackle here and you guys don't want to pay me or play me as a left tackle I want to get traded and that's where it all started that's where it all stemmed and I'm happy that we have him here in Kansas City because losing Eric Fisher was tough enough Trying to replace him would have been tough, but I think the Chiefs upgraded with Orlando Brown Jr. He'll all get
0: figured out. He just needs yeah. to find his proper representation, man. That's and once it.
2: again, thanks to our guy Charles Goldman. Thank you so much, brother, for having uh, for jumping jumping on, even adding to the show. Like I didn't even have to ask him the question; he wanted to talk about Orlando. Yeah, I yeah. love that when a guest wants to bring something up. Shaggy does that a lot, and now our guy Charles Goldman does that as well. Follow them at Chiefs Wire, guys. They have the it's just incredible website, man. You definitely need to follow them. Let's get to the Eddie Hour. What's going on in the Eddie Hour this week, okay. Eddie?
3: All right. Uh... I got two NBA questions for you. Uh, First, obviously, we'll we'll address, obviously, the Warriors winning uh, game, I believe, game six to end the series. Uh, Was it game six? Game five. Uh, Game Game five. Game five to end the series with the Dallas Mavericks. So the Warriors have been unstoppable these playoffs. I want to get your thoughts on that.
2: Look, this is this is uh, the second act of, of the Warriors' dynasty. Um, this team is something that I think reflects a lot of what the Spurs were in the past. And ironically, Steve Kerr played with the Spurs uh, at that tail end when they started winning championships with Tim Duncan. Um, I, I, you see the continuity of this team, that once Clay Thompson got healthy again, once Draymond Green got back, Steph Curry, you know, as being Steph Curry, and Jordan Poole, the emergence of Jordan Poole, all of a sudden, you're seeing this team get right back to where they were back in 2015 and 2016 when this all started. Is that this, this trifecta, this, this trio of Curry, Harden, or Harden, Curry, uh, Draymond Green, and, and Clay Thompson is one of the greatest trios in the history of the NBA? And Steve curtis deserves a lot of credit because I think they would have been successful with Mark Jackson. I think they would have been good. Mark Jackson did develop a lot of the plays that helped Curry become the great shooter that he want that he is. But I think Steve Kerr took them to another level and the, these, these defenses that Steve Kerr throws out there and making them, because everyone is so glamorized by how, rotations. Great, yes, how great their shooting is, and they are. They, Clay and Steph are the two greatest shooters to ever live. But it's their defense that makes them champions. It's the fact they do the things that aren't sexy on the basketball court. Second chance points, going and crashing the boards, double teaming, changing defensive schemes from one possession to the next. That's what separates them. And that's why they haven't lost. What they, have they won? Six? Was it? A, they've won a sixteen of their last seventeen Western Conference Finals games. Uh, they have never. They have never not won the Western Conference Finals when they've gotten to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. Like that's absurdity. This team is one of the greatest, most impressive dynasties in the history of the NBA. Six of the last NBA Finals the Warriors have played in. Six of the last eight, and four of them. Weren't even with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant helped them get to two or three of them, but the other four were with Steph Curry leading the way with Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. Now Jordan Poole's added to the equation. This team's not going anywhere, man. I'm I'm very impressed. I did pick the Mavericks because I thought they had the hotter hand. I thought Luka was the best player in the series. I wasn't wrong, but the Mavericks just couldn't contend because they couldn't hit their threes the way they wanted to, and the the Warriors' defense warmed down. I think he really warmed down. You saw Luka in that final game, game five. He was giving it all he had, but you could tell he was worn out. Now that could be attrition as well. He needs to take care of his body a little bit better. But I think it also was the fact that everything hinged upon Luca, and it just it shows the the team aspect of the game here. That when you have the better team, more times than not, you're going to win the series unless you have LeBron James on your team. But that's my thoughts on it, Trevor.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I I picked the Mavs and six in this series. Um, I thought, you know, I did I didn't, and it's funny because I didn't take into account what I was saying about the Warriors in the series previous. The one they were in before, I just thought like I thought the with the Nuggets and everything that series, I thought the Warriors were just the more well-rounded team, uh, the the leadership and the the experience. I think it was just far too much in their favor in that series, and that's what happened. Um, I didn't. T- I just thought Luca and this this young fiery squad was just going to shoot them out of the gym. There was a couple moments where they were doing that, and there was a game where they did do that. That you know, in Game Four, um, but. It just wasn't enough. This team has way too much experience. This uh, Clay started coming alive, uh, but I think the biggest X factor for this roster was Andrew Wiggins. I think Andrew Wiggins on both sides of the floor was doing everything. He kindly, he yeah. finally started to come into his own. Yeah, I didn't
2: even give him credit. Thank you. He for finally doing that.
0: started to come into. He was dude. He I mean, he put Luca on a poster. He was playing great defense on anybody he was holding. Um, he was shooting really, really well. He was hitting threes. Um, he was actually far more consistent in this series than, than Clay was. Clay had big moments. Obviously, Clay shot. I think made like seven threes this past game. He came alive, and Clay always comes alive in big games like that. He um,
2: said eight threes. It was eight threes. Right? Seven or eight threes. Yeah,
0: yeah, Clay. Um, so yeah, he Steph didn't even honestly have to do that much this past game to put the, to close the season out. Steph played like a, a pretty mediocre game for, according to his standards. Um, but like like I said, Wiggins, uh, Jordan Poole, Draymond was playing great defense, had some foul trouble throughout the series, but was still a very pivotal player. Obviously, every time he's on the floor, he's he's creating plays for other players uh, and, and making great defensive plays, and um, just that spark kind of guy. So um, the, the, the nucleus is still very much there with Clay coming alive right now. It's scary for anybody having to face these guys. So whoever makes it out of the East, you know, with the Celtics or, or the Heat, whoever it is, they're in trouble, man. This team is rolling. They look like <laughs> they look like the team we've always known, right? So this these guys are very familiar with this territory. They've been here. They've done it numerous times um, in different ways. You know, with KD, without KD, with with you know banged up stuff, without a, with the healthy stuff, with the banged up clay. You know, they we, we they've been through a lot and they've been here and this is the, this is a great for me as a Luka fan right now. I'm I'm definitely taking this and I'm sure he's taking it the same way he's come out and said it. You know, I'm learning. You know, that I'm only 23 years old, man. I I'm, I'm learning a lot right now. If anything, Luca's an overachiever, because the, the only guy that I know that was this young to, to carry a team like that was LeBron James. That's the only other example I can really give him. Um, and what he's doing is outside of LeBron James is unprecedented. Uh, for the amount and the usage rate that he's at and how he contributes in his damn near a one-man system. It's incredible. This this dude's gonna get so much better, and he's gonna be the he's gonna be the future of this league um, you know here soon. So credit to Luca. His numbers were insane this series. His number insane. Throughout this entire postseason, right? Um, so he did his part. I mean, these young guys got – I think the Mavericks are one piece away, whether it's another pure scoring uh, two-guard or a wing um, or, a, a you know, a versatile big uh, away from being a true contender for championships for years. Uh, so uh, the future is bright for Mavericks. So any Mavericks fans out there, any Luka fans out there, the future is bright for that team and that young man. Uh, I'm excited to see. But the Warriors is just – this is – this is strictly business for them, man. You know, what I mean, this is a this is what they do. So, I I really thought the the Mavericks were going to edge them out just from the sheer um, capabilities of Luka Doncic and of his ability to create for not only himself but his teammates. But it just wasn't enough. And you know, you you, you can take that. It's it's an honorable death <laughs> to lose to Steph and, and 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 Clay and Draymond and all those guys. And, and you know, Wiggins finally coming to his own. That's a tough team. So, kudos to them.
3: All right, next question. Th- this this next question had a, uh, a lot of mixed emotions, especially on Twitter. Uh, especially people were throwing the word goat out there. Uh, but what most people were talking about was Steph Curry in the top ten all-time NBA uh, list. Do you believe Steph Curry is in that top ten or not?
2: No, not yet. Uh, I think that Steph is getting closer to it, though. Uh, in my opinion, Steph is without question a top 25 player ever because of the fact that he's not only the greatest shooter of all time, but I think Steph, I've always said this, at least for the last couple of years, Steph is greater at shooting the basketball than anyone has ever been at anything else at basketball. He's better at shooting than Hakeem Olajuwon was at rebounding or blocking shots. He's better at uh, shooting than LeBron James' pad passing. Uh, it's, he's, he's the greatest at any one individual thing in the history of basketball. Never seen anything like him before, and we probably never will.
0: He single handedly changed the game.
2: Single handedly. We've never. He. Honestly, he almost ruins the game because people think they can try to replicate that, and you just can't.
0: Well, he changed the way defenses are played. Yeah, Yeah.
2: you have to spread the pain. They showed that just from 2004, you see the bunch sets of defenses where they're all familiarly in the paint. They're all kind of bunched together. And then 2020, 2021, you saw that picture, and it's all just spread out because of the threat that he, not only he, but credit to Klay Thompson as well. Again, one of the five greatest shooters, in my opinion, of all time. But no, I I don't think he's there yet, and here's why. Because of the fact... That Steph is uh, he his greatest success he's had in the last seven eight years. The first six seven of his career, he really did struggle with injuries. He struggled with consistency because he was still learning how to be a basketball player because he only played one year with Davidson. If people forget, or two years with Davidson. So he was still learning basketball. He wasn't this great player coming out. So he had a slow start to his career and it's been the last six, seven years where it really came to be what it is. I think it's going to continue and because of that fact, I think that he will end up being one of the 10 greatest players of all time. But you got to remember, man, like it, it's tough to be that great. Like You understand that the upper echelon of basketball players, I mean, no matter what set, that you have, no matter what the opinion of guys that you have, you have to think about LeBron, Michael, Kareem, uh, uh, Wilt, Bird. Magic, Bird. That's that's six right there. Shaq, Kobe, yeah. that's eight. Tim Duncan, yeah. nine. So you really have to bust your ass, man, and put up some prolific numbers, which he already has. But I still think he has a little ways to go. If I, had a, if I had to give you a number right now where I think Steph's at, I think he's around 15 to 16. I think that's an honest number for Steph Curry. Because also, if we're going to criticize him, He's not a good defender. And, in fact, a lot of times he's been a terrible and defender. And you didn't
0: even mention Kevin Durant, who I think is going to be higher on that. I think Kevin well.
2: Durant's a better overall basketball it's player not, than, than it's Steph without Curry. without question. So I think that there's a chance. I'll, I'll, let me let me clarify. I think there's a chance he'll be a top ten player. But if I, had, if I was a betting man, it's probably not because Trevor even mentioned a guy that I don't even think is a top ten player, Kevin Durant. Who has a better chance than that because of the fact he's a better rebounder, better passer, better defender, just as good of a score, if not a better score? I just think that, yeah, there's too many guys out there bunched together that you could put in the top ten before Steph Curry. As great as he is, and I love him, and I will forever acknowledge him as the greatest shooter to ever live. I think it's a little hard for him to get in the top ten, but I think he has a
0: chance. I don't think Steph will ever be a top ten overall player in the NBA. I think he's going to be definitely, when it comes to accomplishments and the impact, uh, him... Shaq, LeBron, guys like that are pivotal players. You cannot talk about the history of the NBA without mentioning these guys because they changed the way the game flows. There's not a, It's not a coincidence that Biggs all of a sudden became very versatile. Biggs and had to be able to play wing uh, perimeter defense now. It had to be quicker on their feet and be more versatile defensively and offensively because <laughs> of Steph Curry. Yeah. That happens – that happened at that timeline when big started becoming that more versatile three-point shooting bigs euro stepping bigs uh you know back to the basket spinning and fading away hitting shots kind of bigs playing perimeter defense being quicker on their feet lighter bigs that's that kind of happened at the same time with curry because he forced the envelope he forced teams to play more perimeter defense because you had to worry about him and clay you know what i mean so that they revolutionized the game in a sense um but as far as accomplishments accomplishments goes he's going to be one of the most accomplished players ever i think he's more look i don't think he's the best i don't think he's a top 10 player in my mind because he's not the most well-rounded player he's a he's a specialist he's the all-time greatest shooter we've ever seen that is for sure but his game isn't the most well-rounded game. He is dependent on other people to be, you know, the defender of the team. Yeah, He's had Clay, who's arguably the 2nd greatest shooter, alongside him. If he is in a slump, Clay can shoot them out of a game, you know what I mean? So he's had a lot of, not as a weakness, but he's had great support. Right around him, his entire career, he's had win winning rings alongside him. Who I think is the better player overall, and it's the superior talent in my mind. Uh, and and has been a good defender his whole career, and it plays both sides of the, of the ball really, really well. Um, so I, as far as top ten, that is that is the, that is ultimate praise. You know what I mean? So I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. I think he's more of a specialist player, and it is it, it is so special in that specialty that he launches himself into possibly the top 15 top 18 players of all time just because how great he is at that at shooting the basketball and the way he he impacted the game and changed it that alone should launch him into the top 15 top 17 yep. 18 players all time one is all said and done if he go gets himself another ring man he needs to get himself a finals mvp but if he gets himself another ring that is a accomplishment for sure i mean he'll have you know what five at that point right Yeah, So he'll be right there alongside LeBron James with the amount of rings. That's an accomplishment there. He went toe-to-toe with LeBron and uh, and overcame him numerous times. But he's also had great supporting cast. He's also had great coaching, superstar talent, uh, teammates alongside of him. So I don't think he's going to be a top ten ever. I think there's just too many greats that I would always put above him no matter what. Um, Just because they are more well-rounded players and they did more to – in the game other than just just shooting the ball granted he is the best we've ever seen that's never going to be changed um but no i would not put him in the top 10
3: okay okay uh next question thoughts on the lakers new coach
2: Darvin Ham. Uh, this is a Stoked. guy that I think has absolutely earned this job. I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, he has paid his dues. He's been an assistant coach for quite a while. Was a former NBA player. Played with the Pistons when they won their championship back in 04. Um, I, I'm very happy to see that this is the type of move that they went with. I mean, the Lakers usually go and get the big splash coach, and I, and that makes sense, you know, because it's a very politically driven uh, job. You have to deal with a lot of. Bullshit you have to deal with the the, the politics the media it's all Hollywood. those things. Hollywood. It's a tough job But Darvin Ham to me is one of those guys that can maintain it. He's from the game. He's he's been a, 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 a Budenholzer's Holsters assistant coach with the Milwaukee Bucks for the last couple of years He's worked with the Lakers in the past as an assistant coach. Yeah. This man has really We've seen stories like this time and time again even the guys in the Eastern Conference Finals right now Yoka and Spolstra Both long-time assistant coaches to former great
0: coaches. Did their time.
2: Yeah. So this is a great thing to see, and I think this is going to help the Lakers in the long run, whether it's still in the LeBron era or afterwards. I think Darvin Ham's the kind of guy that's going to be a long-term coach for the Lakers. And you're also seeing the support for this acquisition more than any other of the previous ones the Lakers have had. You've seen LeBron and other veteran players on this team come out in drones and say, oh my god, this is awesome. We This is the kind of guy that we can relate to, somebody that we can get behind, because he's the type of guy that we think can make adequate change. No no disrespect to uh, Frank Vogel. I, I like Frank Vogel. I think mm-hmm. he did a damn good job, and he was the scapegoat yeah. to what, what took place this season. But I think that there is a difference in belief and mindset and mentality for these players to associate with a guy that they've known for a very long time and they're friends with Mm -hmm. this is somebody they actually have a personal relationship with darwin ham darwin ham and lebron have been friends almost 20 years Mm -hmm. so there's there's something and let's be real you're not going to coach lebron james because he knows the game just as well as any of these coaches in the league Mm -hmm. so what you what you want to look at because it was the same with michael and phil kobe and phil Shaq and phil like these guys know the game so it's not like you're sitting here breaking down the game they have never seen before. What you got to figure out is do you have a working relationship? Is it going to be something that's going to be cohesive? I believe it's going to be cohesive. I think Darvin Ham is going to be the perfect guy for the Lakers moving forward into this season and potentially trying to get themselves back into title contention. Will that happen? We've got a long offseason to come to, to, to speculate on that. But I think they made the right move, first and foremost, in identifying the proper head coach for this team moving forward.
0: Yeah, it's not the sexiest of names, Um uh, but I, I think I like I like the idea of a, a, a guy getting his chance to be a head coach, make a name for himself in this league, an ex-player, an ex-is-and-os guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's going to come in with structure. He's going to possibly relate to the players a little bit more than than you know than Vogel did. I don't know. Um, him having relationships with these players, you know, I'm sure Vogel did as well. Vogel is well-known amongst the league. Uh, went against LeBron James numerous times, you know, in, in playoffs with the Pacers and things like that. So, I, um i i like the signing i think i like the the idea of a, a coach coming taking on a big job in la you know with lebron james and the star-studded uh, um um team this is with the ad and you know possibly russell westbrook still and maybe zach Levine. who knows we've been hearing rumors about that who knows what they're going to bring over here i'm sure they're going to add another body and a name of note so this is going to be a, a big opportunity for him and I, i'm excited for him um I'm sure if LeBron's riding off on it, I, I I I would I would stand with that. I think you know um, LeBron knows what his, his a thing or two about the game and who who he wants to help guide the ship. Um, so listen, it's an unknown right now. It's a mystery. We don't know what he what he's made of and how this is going to pan out. But it's an opportunity nonetheless, an opportunity for a guy to make the, a name for himself in this league. And um, I love stories like this. I love stories where you know. As long-time assistant coaches and ex-players that were never a great player but they're gritty and they know the game really well and they're exes and nose type of guy and the iq is probably high you know i like that opportunity for him also being a minority coach too which is just which is a, a good opportunity for him to make a you know a name for himself and, and that light as well so it, it's, it's just kind of one of those wait and see situations but i my, my initial feeling is i'm excited for him that's it
3: all right. Uh, so we have a comment, James Kirk. Uh, it says, "Lance, so are you saying LeBron will be identical to Kyrie and not needing a coach?"
2: No, th- these are two different situations. Cause Kyrie, his approach was, "I don't need a coach in any regard." He wasn't saying that because what I mean by LeBron doesn't need somebody to show them the X's and O's because LeBron has taken the time over the last twenty years to better his game and to better the games around him so where he understands the game better than any other coach probably out there in the NBA. That's not the situation for Kyrie. Kyrie's coming from an arrogant standpoint. And By the way, I'm not putting words into LeBron's mouth. He, LeBron's never said these things. I'm coming from the perspective of where I'm at and what I've seen for the last 20 years from LeBron's game is that I know he understands and can break down the game better than anybody out there because I've seen him also do it in that 2018 uh, uh, press conference when he broke down the last six plays of the game which led to the victory perfectly they showed the play-by-play while he's breaking it down to the reporter and it was as accurate as if he was reading from the teleprompter himself which he wasn't he was doing it from memory so this man is is a a savant LeBron James is an NBA savant a basketball savant he knows the game at a level that most never will that's my point. Kyrie was coming from a perspective of Katie and I can just walk out there. We don't need a coach, and we can win. Oh, by the way, Kyrie and Katie were the only team hit the Nets, were the only team to get swept in the playoffs this yeah. year. So hats off to you on that one. So yeah. that's the difference. Let me say
0: something about that. Um, don't ever compare Kyrie in the same sentence with LeBron James ever again. This this, this is such a tired conversation. Listen, what is a coach? You want to talk about him not, LeBron not needing need a coach or Kyrie not needing a coach? Kyrie's the one that made that statement, first of all. Um, and he has no reason to use that statement because Le- says outside of LeBron James, Kyrie has failed every single place he's gone to. Um, what is a coach? A coach is a leader of men. What has LeBron done his whole entire career? Lead men. He's been basically a coach-player most of his career. Outside after after he reached the ten-year mark in his career, he's done nothing but be the highest IQ guy out there, calling out the, the other teams' plays before they happen. If anyone knows how to lead men and be the the coach type of player and understand coaching overall and the game overall it's LeBron James. Kyrie has never earned that, that that respect in this league. He's done nothing but fail outside of that. Outside of being on that guy who has the right to say that. So I don't I don't even want to have the same conver- the same mentioning in one sentence with Le- Kyrie and LeBron James. It's it's silly.
3: All right, um so we kind of touched on uh, Orlando Brown, Jr., uh, and obviously him, uh, that he hasn't signed his uh, contract, and we heard the rumor that he won't be the highest-paid paid player. Now, my question is, since obviously we, uh, Orlando Brown wants to be the highest-paid tackle, uh, could the Chiefs seriously consider a trade for him now? I,
2: considering it, sure. If there's a team out there that, that calls the Chiefs and says, hey, look, uh, we'll offer you, let's play our fantasy here, we'll offer you Josh Allen and, and, a, and a pick for Orlando Brown Jr., and it's like a second-round pick or something, or even like a late first-round pick, or you know just a first-round pick in general. That's something I think the Chiefs would consider. But as we've discussed with Charles Goldman, as we've discussed on our platform time and time again, the importance of having the left tackle shirt up, especially with a guy that is as young as Orlando Brown still is and as effective as Orlando Brown is in his first year with the Chiefs, you can't take that lightly. And that's the biggest reason why I am so confident that he will no he will not only play with the Chiefs this season, but will be a long-term solution for the Chiefs. Cuz I don't know about you guys, but I feel that we here in Kansas City, we we've been spoiled a lot of times with with with, with left tackles cuz Eric Fisher, although he had his struggles, he had a 10-year career here in Kansas City. And he was he was a he, you knew what you were getting out of at a left tackle. Solid above average left tackle. Not not great, but above average. And then before that, you had Willie Rofe. And Willie Rofe was one of the greatest tackles to ever live. And now Orlando Brown Jr., you're looking at him and you're thinking, can he be Eric Fisher? Can he be Willie Rofe? Maybe, maybe not. But all I do know is that one year with Orlando Brown Jr., I saw enough from him to know that he is more than adequate. And I am not willing to take the risk of moving off of him and hoping for the best at left tackle moving forward with Patrick Mahomes being the Chiefs quarterback. Because as we all know, this team is only as successful as Patrick Mahomes is, and if I know that Orlando Brown's there, I can sleep well at night knowing he's going to be protected, as opposed to trading him off and then hoping for the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm convinced he's going to be our guy long term. The um, only thing that's really frustrating me about this 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 situation is it should already be done by now. Like he, it, this is Orlando Brown stalling this entire situation. Find representation, man. Yeah. Get a get, get an agent and get this done. You want to be here, like, okay? Then what are you waiting for? Like I don't, it, I'm more frustrated with him than anything. I think the Chiefs are like, bro, like we want you here. Let's get this done. I just don't understand. It's representing yourself and, and not having an agent like it's just a strange. It's just a, it's 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 only hurting him. You know, what I mean, this is if he might end up having to play under the the tag and not getting a deal done if he waits wait this too much longer. You know, what I mean, the the Chiefs are going to get fatigued by this situation and have to stall it maybe talk about it next year because i don't know i mean he, i'm just frustrated with orlando brown if i'm being honest I, know I love him i want him here i know he he has made it clear he wants to be here maybe the best situation he could possibly be in outside of anywhere else um so i i just don't understand what is taking so long why he's 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 representing himself and 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 supposedly he's looking for an agent i don't even know what the real details are in that so can we just get this deal done and get him here and lock him in for another handful of years? That, that, that's what I want done, and I just don't understand why he's he's dragging ass.
3: All right, last question for you guys, and uh, I'll be done. Uh, Kaepernick has uh, has a workout or had a workout with the Oakland Raiders uh, this past week. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it has happened yet or not, Evan, but um, your thoughts on that.
2: I'm glad you brought this one up, Eddie, because I have I have a very strong opinion on this one. You guys know that I have 100% backed fully and fully supported Kaepernick and everything he's done over the last six years. I don't agree with some of the ways he's gone about, the way he said some things, and uh, the, the, the pig in police uniform uh, socks, I thought that was extremely sophomoric. I thought that was extremely very immature. Uh, I, I don't agree with some of the details of, of, of the story, but the story in itself is something that I have supported vehemently. Having said that... Um, I don't think the Raiders should sign Colin Kaepernick. In fact, I think it would be a terrible decision. For a few reasons. One, Colin Kaepernick hasn't played in the league since 2017. He's 34 years old. Not that that's old, old. We've seen guys now have long careers in the NFL. But Colin Kaepernick wasn't very good when he ended his career in the NFL to begin with. I can't imagine that being out of the league for five full seasons, all of a sudden he's going to be back to being what he was in 2015, or 2016 when he helped get to the, get the or I'm sorry, 20 was at 2013 when he got them to the, the Super Bowl and back to the NFC Championship the following season. I have a hard time believing that's going to be the case. So I don't think he's going to benefit them on the field because Derek Carr is significantly better at football than Colin Kaepernick ever was. Yes. No offense to Colin Kaepernick. I really enjoyed watching him play football. Derek Carr is significantly better than him. He's the better athlete. Yeah, but he, but here's the other better. part of it. Let's say, let's say Colin Kaepernick is legitimately good enough to make a roster which I think is debatable. I think he could be good enough to make a roster as a backup quarterback in this league. Is that worth having on your roster? And what I mean by that is this. Look at Tim Tebow and other polarizing figures that that teams have signed to do what? Garner attention. And then it always backfired. You know why? Because the player wasn't good enough, but the circus still ensued. Colin Kaepernick, he is a mogul. We have to understand this. This dude is no longer just a famous athlete. He is an internationally recognized figure that people know that don't even follow the NFL. So you bring him into the Las Vegas, a team that just had a playoff run. They went 10-7 and seven last season, made the playoffs. A team that just hired a new head coach that already had his struggles in the past as a head coach at 11-17 record. Mm-hmm. Derek Carr, who's already fragile as hell mentally, emotionally, and physically, you're going to put that on your roster and think that's going to benefit you when the dude doesn't see the field, and you're going to have a media circus. Jumping Las Vegas, who's already a spectacle as it is in Las Vegas. You're going to have ten times as many eyes and media members with microphones in Derek Carr's face, Josh McDaniels' face, Max Crosby's face, and Colin Kaepernick's face. The moment Derek Carr – and we all know Derek Carr will have that one one to three games in the season that are just horrible, where he has like a three-interception game, plays awful. You know what it's going to be all week long. Is it time to give Colin Kaepernick yeah. the opportunity? Will he kneel? All, these, all this spectacle is going to follow – Colin Kaepernick to Las Vegas. Yeah, they were doing that with Mariota at times. That's why do you guys think a couple years ago I said the only team that I think you should bring Colin Kaepernick in is the Chiefs? Because we know there's no comp- there's no competition yeah. for quarterback. And we knew we knew that the Chiefs were the type of team that could handle it because they had the core, the foundation, the coaching staff, all those things to defuse it. But even then it would have been shaky ground. You imagine Josh Mc Josh McDaniels who drafted Tim P- Tebow and couldn't handle that shit. Yeah. You think he can handle this? This 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 this, fr- this, fr- this franchise just lost their second president in 3 years. You think they they're, they're the type of franchise that can handle this? They're the last franchise that can handle this. So for the Raiders' sake, I hope they don't do this cuz this will crumble them to their to their foundation if they make this
0: move. Yeah, I don't think any franchise needs this let alone wants to invite this. Listen, I'm I stood with Colin on a lot of the things he's, he he stood for. I was alongside and in in, in, in agreement with a lot of the things, not everything, but a lot of the things he stood for in, in the in the first wave and every wave that's pretty much come since then. Um, I'm critical of some things he says and stood for, but most of the things I do agree with, and I and I am congruent with that since then. But I, I, I this is this is starting to get really annoying. Like with the his his personal workouts, him trying to make it. It just seems like it, it feels. Publicity stunt ish in a way. Sometimes I don't know. I don't know what his true nature is and what his character really wants. Does he really want to be a quarterback in this league? Maybe I, I don't really know. Like it, I'm honestly it, similar to the Tebow, but even more to a, a, a more of a degree than than Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow is different. Annoying for much other reasons. Um, but this is just—it's becoming a tiring thing. To t- I'm, I'm really getting sick and tired of just talking about Colin Kaepernick trying to be the NFL player again. It's just—it's. I think he needs. To, this is my personal opinion. I'm not telling anyone what to do. My, my, what I think he should do, though, is just hanging up, man. And just and you, you obviously have a big voice, and you stand on a tall pedestal, or you know you have that voice, and you've kind of created your own uh, uh, lore as uh, you know, a, not only really a sports figure, but more of a, a, a politicized sports figure uh muhammad ali of sense not to that degree obviously because he wasn't the athlete that muhammad ali was but the impact and the voice that he stood and the things that he stood for in the time that he stood for in the duration of that time he stood in um was it was impactful and he's he's obviously a legend for a lot of other reasons rather than a football player um and i think that's kind of where he is and i think that's where he's never he's never going to escape that unfortunately um so i just think this his name popping up every year in some kind of workout or some kind of possibly Does this team want him? Is this should this team take him? I don't think any team should take on that kind of press. I just don't. I don't think that's. I don't think it's going to positively impact any team. If I'm being honest with you, I just. I just don't at this point. Um, and yeah, I just don't know what football shape he's in. I heard the workout went pretty good. I. It's just. It's just something that's just tiring at this point. Like this is so many years have gone on. And now we're still talking about this. This is something I kind of want to get past, as far as the football, the football side of things. Me personally,
3: a little bit of shock with that, there. Yeah, so I, like, I, like I said, I've, I've always been,
2: I've always been a supporter of Kaepernick, and I did enjoy watching him play at his apex. It was fun to watch, I and mean, he's a freak athlete. Yeah, he's a freak athlete. For I, sure. I just, like I said, it, it's not going to the bit, the pros and cons could not be further on the like the tilting of the scales. He's not going to ever be good enough to justify what follows him. The media circus that's going to follow him. A lot of it was self. Self done, you know. He did it to himself, and a lot of it was also made by political figures that that made him out to be. They demonized him and made him look to be a worse human being than he actually was. Sure. So it's it's two things. Like Tim Tebow, again, was just a religious zealot that wasn't good at football. But you had the Christian core that followed him everywhere and wanted to see him get his opportunities. That no matter where he went, he was never going to be good enough to justify what's going to follow him. And that's what's happening with Colin Kaepernick. Because it, it's never just going to be about football with them. Yeah. It's always going to be about politics. Always going to be about the knee. It's always going to be about the National Anthem. It's always going to be about those things, and the football side of things is never going to outweigh that. It, that's why if I'm the Raiders, I don't even entertain it. And to be honest with you, I don't know why they did. I don't know why they did. I think we all kind of knew like within like the last couple of years the, the, the NFL stuff with Colin Heppertick is done. As soon as he got that settlement with the NFL, I made peace with it. Yeah. As soon as he accepted that money from the NFL, I was like, okay, now this is over. Now he needs to move on to greener pastures and figure something else out. And I commend him for staying in shape and working his ass off because he is a football player at the end of the day. But his football career in the NFL is over with. And I think that we all need to come to terms with that. I will forever respect what he did. He made statements. He made some change, man. He made some real he adequate ruffled change ruffled here. He ruffled feathers. He woke a lot of people up. And I will respect him for that forever. But this this, this dream is a dream at this well, point, man. I,
0: honestly, I think he has it. I don't know him personally, but just the way the optics have always looked since he's left, and since all that he's gained all that notoriety from the polit- political st- side of things, he kind of feels. I think he sees himself as bigger than the NFL, and that is a massive mistake, man. It just is. It, 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 the NFL is the juggernaut. Like he wanted, like a couple years ago when he held those private practices, and he didn't want any NFL people there to like see him practice. It's like, dude, what do you, you know, like what do you think you're doing? Like you're trying to play in this league, but you're completely shunning the league that you're trying to play in. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it's just a lot of publicity stunt type of things going on. And now, now him wanting to kind of finally go in and get some workouts done with the team. And it's just, it, it, I think that train has done left the station a while ago, man. I just, I'm, I'm kind of over it, to be honest so with Stephen
3: you. So Stephen A. was right?
0: <laughs> for, for once. <laughs> hey, <laughs> as long as it's an NBA finals pick, <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephen I, A. usually gets it right. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Cause I remember Stephen A. went in hard on. I remember those practices. Remember, yeah, yeah, was, when uh, when the NFL no said sense. or something, I think it was like they'll take their. Uh, he was like, "No, I'll take my own film crew and all this shit." Yeah, and it made no sense, like, man. Okay, you want to get into the league, but then you're telling them, "All right, yeah. I guess whatever." He
2: didn't want them to control the narrative, and I understand that. But that's why you have
0: your film crew there you with can have the NFL. Both, so yes. way,
2: if they try to manipulate both. it,
0: be like, wait a second, he's trying to. What's make up fe- with this film? But he's trying to make the league yeah. that he's like simultaneously shitting on. It's like you're shooting yourself in the foot, man. You like, know the
2: only difference between Colin Kaepernick and like okay, imagine Patrick Mahomes or a Peyton Manning taking the same stance as he did. Those guys would still be in the league. You know why? Because their skills would outweigh the circus. Because we know. Teams would put up with it. Why do you think Deshaun Watson just got 230 million guaranteed by the Browns, even though he still has 22 sexual assault lawsuits still open?
3: Yeah.
2: We're not open, but you know what I mean? Like they're still there hovering over the situation. The Browns welcome that. You know why? Because Deshaun Watson's an elite talent. If Colin Kaepernick had elite talent, somebody would sign him. It's he would the, have been in the league the this entire time, yeah. even with the kneeling stuff, even with all that stuff. You know why? Because guys that are signed in the league today are still kneeling. 2018, Travis Kelsey was kneeling, but he's still in the league because he's a great player. Colin Kaepernick's never been a great player, therefore people won't put up with it. That's why Tim Tebow's career was eventually done, because they would nobody wanted to put up with it, because he couldn't make throws. That's why, man.
3: I mean, he eliminated the Steelers with that one throw. But...
2: Yes, yes, I know. I, I know.
3: So he he made The Steelers throws. who were missing
2: like six made, starting he defenses. Made he, he made a he throw. He didn't make the throw, and I he would give Tim throw. credit.
0: <laughs> Singular, he made throw. He made throw. Demarius
2: Thomas ran it for 75 <laughs> yards. Too. He He made throw.
3: <laughs> all right. I mean, he still ran it for, what, like 70 years? Yeah, yards that's what I'm it? saying. <laughs> Shit, he ran all over the fucking place. So, yeah, that's it for me. All right.
2: We have one more order of business to get to. Guys, what's it called? Hold, Hold this out. L. Each and every week, we finish off each and every episode with a series of L's in the world of sports. Regardless of those L's are friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports, we promise you who's ever holding these L's in the world of sports deserve these L's in the world of sports. Mr. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. yo yo, yo who is holding the L for you this weekend as an F1. Yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes. <sighs> why am I going to give it to F? I'm going to give it to F1 as a whole, like the, the organization, the the F1. Uh, why? Why? Well, we're we're racing in Monaco this weekend. Obviously, the race is tomorrow. Uh, race time is at eight a.m. ESPN. If you want to watch it, you can watch it. Uh, but it is at Monaco. Uh, it is probably the longest uh, circuit in the calendar uh, that's been in the calendar. I think since like the '60s or the '50s, since way back in the in the day, mm-hmm. since F- Formula One got its uh, start. But the thing is, that track hasn't changed one bit. It's still the same track. Maybe there's a there's been one or two little changes, tweaks here and there, adding a wall here, adding a wall there. But to the track, there hasn't been really any changes. And the cars have outgrown this track. The cars back then were a lot smaller, therefore there was a lot more overtakes. There was a lot more uh, uh, competition. And in recent years uh ever since the hybrid era even before the hybrid era uh the the cars were, were becoming too big for for monaco uh there were there was a lot less overtakes there was a lot a lot less excitement for the race uh and I believe a lot of fans uh so there has been polls everywhere it's like should monaco stay on the calendar and yada 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 and a lot of the a lot of the people say yes because of the history. But at the same time, the history changes throughout time. It never stays the same. So I, I think there's a it's time for Monaco to make either a change to stay in the calendar or to just get rid of it as a whole. For the simple fact that last year in that race, I believe we had one actual overtake on track throughout the entire race the other ones were overcuts or undercuts through uh through the pit stops that's the only other way that they can uh get uh higher on the grid the race is technically on saturdays for qualifying which was this morning and we're hardly gonna see any passing tomorrow if any we're only gonna see it through the pit stops the cars are just too wide to even attempt a pass to to, to to attempt an overtake so I think it's time for F1 to, to really think is it worth having Monaco for what we're for the content we're giving the people and a lot of people are blaming Americans for coming into the sport within the last few years but no it, this is an a, a issue like I said that's, that's been happening so there has to be a change to the track or just get rid of it as a whole it's just, it's a it's a loose situation for the fans and for the drivers. I mean, yes, it keeps them at a at a high uh, level of. Uh, uh, fuck, uh, uh, I hate fucking being bilingual because I lose the fucking. <laughs> I lose the worst. No, it, it's, it's they have to be high, like focused a hundred percent throughout the race, even probably even more than a hundred percent because. Like I said, it, it's really, really, really narrow. And one little mistake, one little tilt, uh, one little tap somewhere, mm. your race is done. So, But o- overall, racing is just bad. Uh, it's a boring race. Uh, so, yeah. I think it's time for a change. Uh, Monaco has to make a change if it wants to stay on this calendar because, yeah, it's lacking content. So, for that reason, F1, you're going to have to... Hold, Hold this L. L.
0: Trevor Twardwell, who's holding L for you this week? <clears throat> All right, so back to basketball. Um, if you guys saw a few days ago, the uh, the All-NBA teams were announced um, with the, the All-NBA first team being Giannis, Luka, Jokic, Devin Booker, uh, and Jason Tatum. Solid picks. Obviously, I think you um, can rotate some of the guys from the second team also. The second team being Joel Embiid, John Morant, Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, and then the third team being Carlton Towns, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Trey Young, and Pascal Siakam. Um, I think this was the, the first time Trey Young's actually been on the all-time or the all-NBA team, I believe. Uh, he had an incredible season. He balled out this year. He led that team, that Atlanta Hawks team, to the to playoffs. Fought. They obviously didn't make it as far as they wanted to, but they, they they played well. He played incredibly well. He's definitely starting to, as an undersized player in the league, he's definitely uh, coming into his own and, and, and his Playing uh, some really good basketball as of late. Yeah, he's a great player. He's a, he, he's he's a he's a Steph Curry light. He plays very similar to Steph Curry. He's that much more smaller, smaller than Steph Curry. I think he's 5'10, 5'11 So, um, yeah, there was one there was one um, sports analyst in particular that that did not vote for um, for Trey Young to make the third uh, <laughs> team NBA, um, and, and, and instead of Trey Young, he actually voted for a guy that played twenty six games this year. Uh, and Kyrie Irving um, that guy goes by the name that sports analyst goes by the name of Jalen Rose I'm just going to read you this article and kind of break it down for you how uh, how this all kind of came out to be and how he announced it himself with some pride for some reason um, the basketball legend and ESPN analyst admitted that he voted for Kyrie Irving over Young as you can as you can see in the tweeted video which you guys can go watch the video I'm not going to play it on here but if you guys can go watch the video on Twitter it's, it's, I'm sure a lot of you have seen it already Rose quickly realized the error in his ways. Rose said, "I'm the lone person that voted Kyrie for third team all NBA." And then obviously you can see Stephen A's reaction, his jaw drop, and he says, "What?" And then Rose Rose goes on to explain, "I get mesmerized by his talent, but it was but it was a mistake to put him on the third team. I'm glad I'm glad it didn't cost Trey Young his spot who deserved it more. So I'm going to owe that." Listen, we have we have so this what this this is this is this is bigger than just jalen rose to me in my opinion but this goes to shows we have emotional men that have votes to 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 create or or take away or to give or take away accolades for these players that work in their entire careers for guys that are playing the whole season and leading their teams like trey young but yet we have emotional men just because they like the talent that he's mesmerized by the talent Rather than what he's actually accomplishing in the actual league, whether and actually available for his team on the court, Kyrie played 26 games this year, yep. a third of the season, and you're gonna vote. Literally, you put in your vote and you wrote his name over Trey Young. What if that did rob Trey Young of his position on third team? How embarrassing would that have been if Trey Young misses out in the opportunity, and they go down and they look who voted, and they see that Kyrie got one extra vote, or someone else got one extra vote that was non-deserving of that? It's it's that to me, and that's that's pro- who knows how many. MVPs, you know, has, has been, guys have been screwed out of MVPs or other accolades that they could have accomplished in their league because someone just didn't like them or they, they were mesmerized or emotionally attached and biasly attached to another player in the league. That's why they voted for them, not because who is the fucking better player or who's actually available and on the court for their team leading their team. That I just I can't stand that kind of stuff. And then the fact that he literally put his foot in his own mouth on live TV and was at first proud that he was the only, he was, I'm the lone guy that voted for Kyrie who played 26 games this year, and immediately saw Stephen A's reaction. He's like, yeah, shit, I, I feel actually like a dumbass for doing that. Now that I said that out loud, I kind of feel stupid. You should. Yeah. Because that's, it's pathetic, man. I hate that kind of shit. A lot of that, I, they need to re, reanalyze who they have making these votes. Because these, I'm up to putting up to an algorithm instead of these emotional ass dudes that have biases. It really is that simple. It's putting Kyrie over, 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 over Trey was just embarrassing, and I'm I'm glad Trey got into that third because Trey worked his ass off and balled out this year and led that Hawks team to a, a postseason run that was it was entertaining. They they fell short obviously, but they achieved I think to what we thought they were up to par to achieve, and they did that. And Trey balled this year and, and has taken that next step, and um, he's actually available for his team um, and played the season, so. Mind you, they didn't even get swept. That's crazy, right? So you're voting for the guy that gets swept. Um, yeah. So for that, Jalen Rose, any other person in history that has voted for guys simply out biases and emotional response, do me a solid favor and hold, hold this Uh We started the show off um,
2: with with some sobering thoughts um, in regards to the Uvalde tragedy that took place this last week and – I sit here and talk about how I respect what Colin Kaepernick did and how he essentially sacrificed his career to stand or rather kneel for what he believed was right. And as an American, he had every right to do so, and he utilized that right. And some other sports figures, and the only reason I even bring it up on our platforms is because sports figures are involved because this is an all-sports, all-the-time type of show. But sports figures also bleed in through real life because we all live in real life. We're all human beings. And outside of sports, we still have lives to live. And I always admire and respect outspoken individuals in sports. Because they're, it's, it's, it's authentic. It's, it's real. Because we live in a, in a society where you have to protect yourself at all times due to being canceled or getting all this, this just harsh rhetoric in response. Your families get death threats, all these other things. And there's some people out there in the sports world that just simply do not care about that as much as getting the point across or, or putting out a message that needed to be put out there. And, and, and Steve Kerr did that this week. and And it was before Game 4 against the Mavericks. It was in Dallas, which was a few hundred miles away from Uvalde. And he wanted to put this out here in the initial press conference before the game. Um, I'm not going to talk about
1: basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, Any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, Since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we gonna do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and so i ask you mitch mcconnell i ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings i ask you are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers because that's what it looks like it's what we do every week so And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic.
2: I've had enough. Perspective is everything, man. Perception is everything and Steve Curry, if you watch this, if you watch this video, you could tell he's holding back emotions. He's trying not to cry because I think he represents a large majority of us Americans here that that are sick of seeing tragedies like this occur. And I want to commend Steve for this, but I also I'm going to be real for a second, man. I, I've I've allowed, we, I'm sorry, we have allowed on our platform a lot of people to speak their minds because I shared this post a couple days ago about how Steve Kerr didn't hold back and he, and he spoke his mind. That's all I even put on the post. We have had, without question, a record-breaking amount of comments on this post. Uh, we, this this platform has been around for almost 12 years. And we've never had the amount of attention on one thread than this one. Um, And needless to say, I've seen some really good um, comments on there. I've tried to read through as much as I can because I know how important this conversation is. I've tried to read through a lot of them, and I've seen a lot of people put some really good thoughts and opinions on there, some good support about what Steve Kerr was trying to say. But unfortunately, there's been a lot of really bad ones, and I don't want to give too much attention to it, but I I want to speak directly to these folks because I've had... Some pretty disheartening um, comments that we've gotten on this. On this, in particular, um, we've had people like Jim Levin say that this guy, this guy's a total hypocrite. Last year, he was demanding SROs to be removed from schools? Shut the fuck up and dribble, jackass. We had Scott Field say, "You need to play basketball and shut your mouth." Uh, Edward Graham, his father should have had a gun. If you don't know what that means, that means uh, it's in reference to Steve Kerr's father. Who was killed at his profession? He was a professor at a, at a university and he was gunned down by two people. He's basically saying that his father should have had a gun to protect himself, as opposed to just you know being murdered. Uh, John Morris, another ignorant liberal, ranting like a child instead of asking how did an unemployed 18-year-old was able to pay for over 2K of weapons and ammo. Uh, Roddy Roddy Starmer, perhaps Mr. Kerr was outraged <sighs> the damn door the killer used was unlocked. Nope, Jesus, Steve, shut your hole. Kids was 18, threatened before the attack. 18-year-olds can't buy handguns in Texas. Murder was already illegal. The person that left the, that left an unlocked door at the elementary school should be facing 21 counts of murder. Have a nice day. He should shut his mouth and play basketball, Rich Brown. It's a mental health issue, not a gun issue. Who gives a dick what this ass-eater has to say? Joe Giacchi. You know, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed, man. Because I thought this was about a tragedy and children's lives being taken and and innocent uh, uh, teachers' lives being taken. Instead, we've turned this into a... Shut up, Steve, and dribble. Shut up, Steve Kerr. A man who's sitting here crying because, one, he's dealt with this tragedy himself of his father being gunned down. And two, his heart is broken because within just this last month, we've had three mass shootings across the country not in one place across the country of different ethnicities and groups of people being targeted and murdered and that's supposed to be the message here but instead we're sitting here and, and criticizing the messenger and, and, and we're making this into a well he's just a liberal well he's just this Instead of focusing on the message, I had people messaging me because I made my stance on this very known on my platforms on social media. I had people messaging me trying to make this into a, a me problem and that I'm just, I just want guns to be taken away. And never once did Steve Kerr say, I want guns to be taken away. Never once did he say anything about Americans should not own the rights to guns or have access to weapons. Not one single time. But yet it's shut up and dribble. You don't know what you're talking about. And it's the funniest part about these people and what they're saying is they're telling Steve Kerr to shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, but yet you do. The ones that are attacking Steve Kerr, you do. You have the knowledge. He's a basketball coach. What the fuck does he know? What the fuck do you know? I've never once done this before on this show. We've done 169 episodes now. This platform at the Spoken on Facebook's been around since 2010. And I've never once had to come out and verbally chastise the people that are in this group because I always stand firm on, I want you to have the right to an opinion. But man, a lot of people's opinions suck. We lost children, man. We lost innocent people in Buffalo and Texas. And Steve Kerr just simply said, we got to do something, man, because this isn't working. The way we're handling things isn't working. And we're going to criticize that man. We're going to crucify him as opposed to the problem, the threat, what really is going on. I want to commend Steve Kerr, and I don't give a fuck who that offends. I 100% stand by Steve Kerr on this one. And I will because I don't want to see people continue to get killed by terrorists. I'm sick of seeing it. These people in Uvalde had no business losing their children losing their wives there's the uh, one of the teachers uh irma i believe her name irma garcia and forgive me so much if i misplaced her name but i believe that was her name her husband died of grief this week his heart literally gave out because he lost his wife to this tragedy and we're sitting here defending guns it's absurd man it's absurd And I don't want to put a wet blanket on this show because I know that we have fun here. We do each and every week, man. And and I I hate that we have to talk about these things. I've had people say, Why are you even letting this stuff being being posted and said? Because it's real. This is really happening. And we have sports figures that are talking about it. Eddie and I, man, we were talking this week at work and and Eddie posted about like how heartbreak how heartbroken he is. Trevor, Trevor has two children that are my niece and nephew. They have to go to school. And we are we're we're terrified. We're fucking terrified, man, because we don't know where the next school shooting is going to take place. All we do know is they continue, and it's at random. And people have access that have no business having access to these fire these these firearms. Things have to be changed. Whether you you want to attack Steve Kerr or not, the message continues. The message the message doesn't change. The facts don't change. You can sit here and justify however you want to, but the fact is, this is a real problem in our society. No other country in the world has this problem. You can blame video games, you can blame music, you can do whatever you want. All those other countries have all those same things. They don't have they don't have the willy nilly uh, lack of restrictions that we do when it comes to firearms and in particular assault rifles. They don't have gun shows where you can just walk up and grab an AR fifteen at, at eighteen years old and, and pay it for it. No matter how you get the money, the fact is it's the money's there, and as long as the money's coming in, they're not going to fight it. And it's pathetic. So you want to attack Steve Kerr? You can attack me too. I'm good with that. Believe it or not, I do have an L, though. I do want to transition before we get done because I do want to live on a lighthearted note. Uh, so, Trevor, you had one that I really liked, and I, we talked about that last night about Jalen Rose and that horrific decision to vote a guy that played less than 30 games it's on the All-NBA just, team. It's
0: deeper than just him. It, yeah, it is. This goes back a long time.
2: Well, speaking of going back a long time, we have some old-timers that are out here throwing out some unnecessary barbs to this generation of nba and i'm sticking to the nba so um james worthy came out on a podcast this week and former J- james Worthy is one of the greatest basketball players to ever live i didn't get a chance and the pleasure of watching him he was Collegiate before my time
0: yep.
2: but he had a great career in the in, uh, the, in college won a national championship as the best player for the Car- uh, carolina tar heels and went on to have great success in the nba as well but he is absolutely putting his foot in his mouth this week. So he was on a he was on a, a, a podcast, like I said, and he this is a quote that he had in regards to today's generation of basketball players. Quote: I mean, Kareem had four years with John Wooden, Michael Jordan, as a, and I had three years with Dean Smith. Isaiah Thomas had some years with Bobby Knight. So you learned the fundamentals, worthy said. Not only that, you learned how to live. You learned how to balance your freaking checkbook in college. There's a lot of things. When you don't get that, guys are coming to the NBA who are not only not fundamentally sound, all they do is practice threes, lift weights, get tattoos, tweet, and go on social media. That's it. So you don't have the sound player. You have an athletic player, and that's what's happening to the game. It's a lot of ISO and looking for mismatches. Bill Russell told me one time they had five options off of one play. You don't see that anymore. One of the things that I, like, I really don't, Trevor, one of my biggest fears, and I've talked to you guys about this before, because now we're getting to that age where we're no longer the young guys, we're no longer the young generation. Right. One of my biggest fears is ever becoming the guy that is bitter because I'm old. Because that's what James Worthy now is. Right. Was once a great NBA player, a great Hall of Fame, top 50 all-time he is now putting him in you know why i don't want to become one of those people because i don't want my legacy to be remembered as a crotchety old man and unfortunately that's what james worthy is now becoming because when was the last time james worthy was in the headlines probably when he was playing but now he's making headlines because he's saying stupid shit like this you're generalizing a generation of basketball players are there players did he accurately describe some players yep but you know what I find funny Trev you know what I find funny Eddie is that if you guys watch the last dance something I enjoyed very much one of the key things and all of that that made Michael Jordan stand out was how he didn't want to do some of the things his teammates were doing back when he was a rookie right what were the things they were doing oh that's right they were snorting coke and had a bunch of hookers in their apartments and they were doing drugs getting drunk doing all this stupid shit. right and Michael Jordan didn't want any part of that but what's funny is that even Michael Jordan himself started partaking in some of the shit, started gambling till 3 a.m., drinking, smoking stogies left and right on game nights, before games, hungover, sick, you know, the, the, the food poisoning game. And these are the superstars of their generation. Will Chamberlain was sleeping with chicks left and right back in his you, day. I don't
0: know if you saw the report, but uh, Magic Johnson and James Worthy both were hooking up with girls at halftime in games. Yeah, so it's like, what's the worst? So hold on. So hold on. Yeah,
2: so so we're just going <laughs> to neglect the facts that yeah. you guys did these things 30, 40 years ago.
0: That's yeah, funny.
2: But man. then you want to sit here and turn around and criticize these guys and say that they don't take the game essentially as seriously as you do, or they don't live the life, they can't balance a checkbook. First of all, motherfucker, we don't do checkbooks anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, second of all, we have all these different apps that help provide a source for you to be able to balance your your, your investments and all these other things. And it's funny, too, because as much as we criticize him guys like Kyrie Irving, that man is worth hundreds of millions of dollars that have nothing to do with his NBA career. Yeah. He's an investor, and he invests his money insanely wisely. He's 29 years old, 30 years old now. He's a part of this generation. I, it, this mindset man, I don't guys, and I hope you guys don't ever let
0: me become that that guy. I don't want to be, ever become this guy. I just don't understand the hatred towards the three-point shot. I don't <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. Especially with so the, because fact, the players are shooting more threes and are, are incredibly better. That makes the game that much harder to difficult. Especially to, the to fact that like, I don't Especially understand. the
2: fact that the three point line's been around since 1979.
0: Exactly. James Worthy was in the league during the, the hatred the, for the three is 70s, so weird to 80s. me, man. It's like, so weird.
2: He he came in the league, what, 83? So, his entire career, they had the three point line.
0: Right. I I,
2: so, you're sitting here criticizing these guys utilizing it at a higher level than your generation ever could. What are you mad that this generation would shoot your and, ass out of the gym and What like. the fuck <laughs> does this tattoos take? Let the dudes get tattoos now.
0: They're millionaires, bro. We got money <laughs> like, to spend. Like, uh, what,
2: how does it affect the game? Like I don't understand. Like, getting tattoos. The focus you know, is on the
0: wrong things, man. I,
2: you know that guy could have had a really good post game, but he got that, you know,
0: that tattoo on his arm, and I just don't think he's got it. And, now. Developing, like, and developing a three point shot. <laughs> weight him down. When did developing a three point shot not become a fundamental part of the game? Right. You know what I mean how is that not a fundamental? Just because they're not back to the basket, kind of posting up your typical prototypical player. Yeah. The shooting threes is definitely is a fundamental part of the game now than anything is. James Worthy He's has straight up become a hater. That is, and it's really unfortunate because guys like him and Kareem
2: were our titans of the game. Will forever be reverenced as that. Now there's always going to be this attachment. Well, Kareem said some stupid, aimless shit about LeBron. Right. Uh, uh, James Worthy's now saying stuff about this generation and generalizing people. It's 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 so bad. It's so so bad. And honestly, in an ironic sense, and this is where I'll finish it off. James Worthy and guys like him and Kareem Abdul Jabbar should take notes on people today. Because people today know how to handle that type of shit. Because you know why social media and the pressure and the lights and cameras that these guys are all under that James Worthy could have never dreamed of having? Michael Jordan himself even said he got fatigued back in the 90s. He couldn't handle all that shit. Man, those guys went through nothing compared to what these guys go guys go through. They the live their life under have, a microscope. They didn't yeah. have hour by hour talk shows that were just critiquing their every move Twitter. or every play, like they do. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook, yeah. all these other social media sites. They didn't have that shit. So, if anything, they need to take notes on how to verbiage, use, verbalize their thoughts and opinions a lot better, and, and utilize this generation and how they handle it, which is much better than what they would have ever done back then or how they did it back then they just didn't have as many eyes or opinions on them like they do 20 20 30 years from now, from then to now it's just it's pathetic and so for that my guy james worthy you are worthy of something else and it is to hold, hold this l. l charles goldman chiefs wire man you absolutely Whoa. crushed it we appreciate you so much man dropping the knowledge he actually just messaged me and said he'd love to come back that's a good sign. I, think that's, yeah, I think that's going okay. Um, we appreciate him and everything he does over there, and we're going to have him back. We promise you guys. Episode 169 has been a blast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. For Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, for Trevor Twidwell, for the great Clay Windler, and, of course, Charles Goldman of Chiefs Wire, I am Lance Twidwell. Episode 169 is done, finished infinito. And until we're here next week, one week's time from today for episode 170, we out of this bitch. Hey, my love.